Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it, I know you can't get enough At home, at work, it don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes, you know what's up Ay. Uh, Rising from the ashes Hello Fire Tribe, welcome to Rising From the motherfucking ashes Yeah, yeah. I'm Danny Naki Dan I'm the homie Romy and I'm the highly enlightened alien. How's it going? What up? Yeah. Fan tizzle. Fucking 80 degrees in February it's about and shit. Two what in the, the morning fuck? here. Yeah. Two in the morning? No, it's not. Oh. Oh, that's right. That was last night. I was up at 2 a.m. having this, uh, getting prepared, and I had pictures of you guys on my laptop screen, just as you are now. And so I could just prepare for this beautiful, glorious moment. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You've been looking at us for that long? All day, huh? Jeez, wow. It's kind of weird. I have you tattooed inside of my eyelids. I couldn't have asked for anything more. I mean, it doesn't well, get any better than that. That makes me very happy. It does not. I have nothing yep. else for you. <laughs> Elaine, wow. why don't you uh, tell the people a little bit about who you are how did you get <laughs> yeah. into conspiracies uh conspiracies well yeah uh probably since birth <laughs> <laughs> i've always had yeah i'm pretty sure i was um i at least <laughs> i hope that i was when i was younger i was like really wish that i was yeah I but it, yeah um that dream unfortunately didn't come true um yep. came to pan out the opposite but it's all right i learned to live with the crazy people that uh adopted me and um we went moved on <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah i know i got uh pretty like anti-religion anti-establishment anti-everything when i was younger um when our dad passed away and Anti-Santa? ever since then oh fuck yeah fuck that motherfucker he ain't got nothing hey i don't, don't want your like that no goodies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anti-Santa? Yeah, I know, right? I was anti-everything. Anti-Santa? I was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, watch out. They'll come after you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. The little anarchist running around like wearing all black with spiky hair and causing havoc. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, um. I kind of just graduated into conspiracy after conspiracy and found out that, Hey, it's not really fucking a conspiracy, is it? And, um, did research and I went to school. Um, I went to college and I got a science degree and then I realized like, wow, like all this shit is like hella fake. Like (laughs) trust the science. Like these motherfuckers are using fake tests. Like, come on, give me a break. Um, but 
yeah, so um, I went to college and then I decided to quit my career after I had that for a while. And I started uh, more into the marijuana industry. And from there, um, that's all she wrote, pretty much. I've been doing cannabis, uh, growing, selling, using for like 17 years now. So um, I kind of have uh, my foot in the door. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Whoop, whoop. Um, but yeah, pretty much um, I'm a mom and a housewife and a homemaker and a caretaker and a farmer. Uh, pretty badass. I'm a farmer. Yes, I am that. I'm an artist. Um, Pretty much all everything. I do everything, a little bit of everything, but I think that's like the Jill of all trades. Of, yeah. Yeah. Jill of all <laughs> trades for sure. <laughs> but yeah. So, anyways, I have some strong opinions and some strong views on things. So hopefully nobody gets offended. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's all it's all in good fun. And uh, I'm always right. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. Thank you for yeah. joining. Thank right. you for joining us this month. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, today on the show we have Ed Dodge. We get into a little Lost Goddess and some biblical Lost Goddess, uh, Asherah or Asherah, Astarte. Cannabis. Yeah, I was not kind of expecting him to connect it into cannabis and stuff, but that was a joyful. Uh, uh, extra, you know. So that was cool. It was very joyful. Yes, that was awesome. It made my day. Yeah. So this is a divine feminine month, and we're starting off with Ed Dodge, and uh, go also go check out the Patreon. It's three dollars this month, like all months, and uh, we got some new episodes posted up there that you're only gonna find on Patreon. So. <gasps> Well, go support us over there. Listen to the homies show expanding universe, which is uh no, stop it. It's expanded understandings. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You do this to me all the time. You maybe don't care. It, maybe I do it on purpose. <laughs> Real quick though. There's a reason it's three y'all. Okay. It's not just because, you know, we wanted to make it incredibly affordable for everybody. Incredibly affordable. But because the number three is a very, very important number. And the more times we create the number three in our lives, the better everything is. So giving us $3 as a mutual benefit trade for the content in which we create, one, two, three, Neptune's Trident, Poseidon, Atlantis, the three boom. pyramids, yeah, three pyramids, baby. So yeah. just go on over, slippity slide on through, and do it. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, and then what else we got going on? Uh, not a whole lot, but uh, so much. yeah, go check that out. Living the uh, dream, living the dream. Yeah, but That's I think right. it's uh, That's right. it's time for that. R. F T A news 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 you can trust angel dust yeah 
Romy. You want to start it off? or What's up, baby? Or E, you want to start it off? Nope, I got whatever. it. Yeah, let him do it. Nope. Get at Here's it, the man. thing. We're going to sandwich you, bud. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna sandwich you, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, like a sweet old like a sweet old news sandwich. Just go ahead and got, start. Uh, shut the fuck up. Like a PB and hey, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Yeah. Tell me, tell me. There's yeah. there's there's fewer more satisfying uh, bites of food than a perfectly done sandwich with all of the correct flavors and textures. Nothing better. You can't. Sandwiches are my favorite yeah. thing. Oh my gosh! Yes, he has the punch oh card to prove it. Oh, I do. Oh, I want to open but up my own how? deli. My own restaurant deli. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, I'm incredibly down. Oh, he's like wanted to do that his entire life. I I should tell you about it later. I'm not going to tell you about it on the podcast. Everybody will steal it from me. Oh, but it's an incredibly oh, good idea. It- is it themed after that uh, Detective Dragon? Uh, <laughs> no, the, it's not. <laughs> Dick Dragon? It's not Dick Dragon in the Science of Time restaurant. No, it's, it's not. His, uh, his wrestling alter ego. Dick Dragon. Ooh, no, El Cucumantro. El Cucumantro. Dirty Sanchez. Dirty Sanchez, yeah. <laughs> that's, my rest, that's my lucha libre. Yeah. I'm at old Dirty Sanchez. Oh, Lord. <laughs> The one, the only. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Naki, dirty Sancheesy. He loves oh, Sammies. He right. loves Nene. cheesy Sammies. This is RFTA News, Roman. What you got? <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. So welcome to RFTA News. Today we have something very special for you because we are structuring this year and at least the year of 2022, maybe 2023, for alive and well, we'll do another structure, but we're doing months, and these months we are dedicating to entire subjects, and so that way we can dive deep on them. And so I'm going to uh, be bringing up goddesses um, in honor of Divine Feminine Month, um, and reading some folklore on them on every new segment. And today we have a. Um, <clears throat> a deity, um, a energetic figure, and a forest spirit by the name of Ellen of the Waves. And this is from andrewcollins.com. Andrew Collins is a great author. If you guys haven't read or looked up any of his books, he is awesome. He's a part of, uh, you know, ancient, uh, histories, research, and stuff like that. So here we go. Ellen of the Waves. Ellen is elusive, ethereal, gossamer. Yet in my research and experiences over the years, she has allowed me to follow her quicksilver thread and revealed herself in various guises. As the green lady, she peeps out between the trees and forests and woods. As a British Venus, goddess of gardens, she's the flower bride. At her holy wells, mainly to be found in the north of the country, she is the guardian of the underground streams that carry sacred waters. These underground streams have themselves become a metaphor for the secret continuation of sacred wisdom. She is the guardian of the ancient trackways, the lays, kundalini, currents in nature, 
And as the horned goddess, she leads us to the first trackways, the migratory tracks of the reindeer. And later, she leads us to the patch of the red deer through the forest. From here, she leads us to the lost shamanism, the Isles of Britain. And we can follow her across Scandinavia, Russia, Mongolia, Siberia, India, and beyond. And she has pointed me to ancient London and to the stars. And she has appeared with fairy folk and has revealed mysteries of the abstract, magical concept, which links sovereignty to the fertility of the land. And my introduction to her came in 1983. I had been working closely with Paul Deveroux, the Ley Line Hunter magazine, and he gave me a copy of the journal and sent them to my review. It was simply titled, Helen, Pagan or Christian? To the contributors, Helena was synonymous with Ellen, and the various Ellens and Elaines and Helenas who appear in Maggie Mabig Mabin 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 I don't know what this word is, M-A-B-I-N-O-G-I-O-N. Helen, the mother of Constantine, a grail bearer, a barmaid, and an Essex girl who was the daughter of old King Cole. My instincts told me that if we could unravel this confusion, instead of seeing a lot of separate characters tangled up together, we would find many faces of the same figure. I felt a great excitement as I started to read Pendragon. Just a few pages long, and with no hard evidence to grasp, I knew that something was to be of deep significance to me was awakening. And from that moment, I set on a quest to find out more about her. And I had no real idea of the vast stretches of time and landscape and myth she traversed. Ellen and the King. I started my investigations with the evocative figure that appears in the Mabinagoyan, the medieval masterpiece of the otherworldly tales beyond mythical and quasi-historical characters. It is believed to be based on earlier, orally transmitted tales. Ellen appears in the Mabinagoyan story of the dream of the masted wedding, whose character is based on the Roman emperor Maximus. Maskin is set out hunting with 32 companions. They follow the river that runs towards Rome. Maskin gets tired in the heat of the sun at noon, so a tent is prepared. Maskin sleeps and dreams a wonderful dream. He dreams of undertaking an epic journey where he travels across mighty rivers, mountains, and valleys, and all kinds of terrain until he crosses a sea and eventually comes to a red gold castle. In the castle, he finds two auburn-haired youths playing chess and an old king whittling chess pieces. On a red-gold throne sits a woman. She's the most beautiful woman Maskin had ever seen. She is Ellen. Maskin awakes and pines for the woman of his dream. He sends out men on a quest to find her, which they do. In Wales, the land of red gold, they tell her they tell her that the emperor wants her, and Ellen says that if the emperor wants her that badly, he can come get her himself. On hearing this, he sets off many, many adventures, and Ellen becomes his bride. She becomes the empress. Helen has roads built magically for the armies of Britain and for the protection of Britain, and Ellen Lidwag, Ellen of the Host, 
the roads are said to link castles across the land as lay hunter this as a lay hunter this appealed to me were these more than roman roads echoes of ancient pathways allen's roads memories of the old straight tracks you can walk along her road still sarn allen a network which goes from carnifron probably the site of Ellen's castle, into South Wales. And it is to be earlier that the Roman period, a walking along her highway can be a magical experience as you enter a realm where magic, myth, and history meet. I'm just going to do one more um, because uh, they start talking about ley lines and uh, this next subject is called, or uh, serped, it's called Ellen of the Lays. Um, in the periodical Pendragon... The editor notes that St. Helen, whether Ellen or Helena, could be said to be the patron saint of lay hunters. It occurred to me that Ellen might have been sleeping in my subconscious for years. The Pendragon article in 1983 awakening her. In my bookcase was a copy of Paul Screton's 1974 book, Quicksilver Heritage, The Mystic Lays, Their Legacy of Ancient Wisdom. It was only, it was the only work I could find other than that of Harold Bailey, which mentioned Ellen in the guise of the guardian of the old tracks. Lays were discovered and named by the brewer, antiquarian, and photographer Alfred Watkins in the 1920s. His flood of ancestral memory, he saw the prehistoric sites laid out in straight lines across the country and led him to believe that what he was seeing was the traces of Neolithic trading routes. He formed the Straight Track Club, members of which would go out and about in the country and searching for al uh, alignments and visiting ancient sites. The lay phenomena reached a wider audience in 1969 with the publication of The View Over Atlantis by John Mitchell. This highly original work caught the spirit of the age perfectly and became the foundation stone for the earth mysteries movement. It fanned a renaissance of interest in folklore and sacred geometry, ancient sites and their relationship to the landscape and to a broader cosmology in quicksilver heritage. Paul Screeton, the editor of The Lay Hunter, lists holy wells as lay markers, saying many wells are dedicated to St. Helen, a confusion with Ellen, the Celtic goddess of roads and armies. He also says that Ellen, reputedly the daughter of King Cole, is Albion's equivalent of Thoth, Hermes, and Mercury. She, according to the, Mab the Mabinogion, built a system of roads from the castle to another throughout the Isle of Britain. This suggests the construction of the trackways, following and placing of stones, mounds, and one-tree hills, etc. To mark Lays, Ellen, or the Christian Christianized St. Helen, has given rise to such names as Lays as Heel, Heol, and Ellie Stones, Ellen's Roads and Ellen's Causeway. So here we have the matron saint of lay hunters, Ellen's connection with the old trackways, combined with my linking her with the reindeer. Via Cheska Potter's vision of the antlered goddess led me to the idea that her earliest tracks were those of the migratory paths of the reindeer. Intimate knowledge. Holy shit, I just had a Santa vi vision. Santa Claus, electromagnetics, reindeer, uh, ley lines. Sorry. Intimate knowledge of these uh, paths was essential for the survival of those who depended on them. 
both before and after domestication of the herds, and these tracks could be found over a vast area of the globe. Interestingly, the Irish Gaelic word describing the paths where deer were driven was Eliurg. As mentioned earlier, Ellen led me Suspect the lays also functioned as shamanic flight paths, traveled with the aid of fly agaric, Amnita muscaria, obtained in a non-toxic form via the urine of the reindeer. But she was leading me now in another direction, this time to the Holy Land, yet across somewhat familiar territory. So that's on andrewcollins.com. It's a huge transcript of this goddess and it's fucking huge and like links us to Hermes and Hermes in Greek mythology is known as Quicksilver because it was the only Mercury. thing that was as fast as Hermes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Hermes is Mercury and all that. So it was pretty deep. I thought so deep. So deep. Yeah. That's crazy how everything ties into one another. Yeah. It's good. When was that book written or when it's just an article. Well, it's a, it's a manuscript that this lady, Carolyn Wise, who's a author on, on with Andrew Collins, uh, she started writing this like manuscript of Ellen, uh, Ellen of the Ways in like 1983. But yeah, she condensed the whole manuscript down to 6,000 words. So um, mm-hmm. you can look up Carolyn Wise if you want to look deeper into that. I mean, those are just a three different serps i read from that so i mean like it goes on but you know i mean fuck we we don't got all night so yeah excellent that's cool awesome yeah thank you elaine what you got for the news uh well i think today we're going to talk about some insects and their mating habits all right um yeah you guys familiar with any insects or animals that have like weird mating habits uh, praying mantis, uh, black widow spider. That's about it. How about you, Ronnie? My ex-wife. <laughs> oh, he was, he's never been married. Uh, <laughs> I can only imagine what goes through your head, Romy. All right. <laughs> well, yes, Daniel, you are correct. Though. The praying mantis and black widow. So that's uh, two of them. But um, all right, I'll get into it. So the Praying mantis uh, males, they actually prefer like fatter, fuller females uh, mm. because they're like less likely to get eaten by them. So like they'll like literally <laughs> hunt out like, yeah, like the chubby chicks, they're chubby chasers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, during um, mating, females will bite the heads or the legs off of the male. So he'll lose all inhibitions and continue mating basically with her as he dies. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah, so it fertilizes more eggs and that creates more offspring and, hey, evolutionary advantage, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the black widow spiders, um, they'll kill and eat the mate after mating also, um, but they do that more to, like, nourish, the, you know, like the 500 babies that they're going to go have to take care of. So it's basically like, you know, child support in advance. like i'm gonna (laughs) yeah i thought that was pretty dope but uh yeah yeah, so then the um angler fish you guys are familiar with the angler fish i know what it is it's the one that has a little dangly dangle in front of its face yeah like scary old teeth and like the little dangly light bulb 
Yeah. Yeah. So the male angler fishes are actually like normal fish. They like look normal and um, they actually attach themselves like a parasite to the female's body. Mm. And as it fuses together, uh, the male absorbs into the body of the female and all that remains is his gonads, his little balls. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah. And so like, and then the female just uses it when she's ready. He's like, Hey, I want to see what your insides look like. Uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one last one I got. Um, the lost caves of Giza. <laughs> <laughs> this one's like the most exciting one, I think. Um, so when drone bees uh, mate with their queen, uh, their barbed endophallus gets ripped from their abdomen as they ejaculate because their and their head pops off. Oh my god! Yeah, I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. What you said about the praying mantis. <laughs> what you said about the praying mantis. It's almost like the 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 male knows he's gonna die, and that's why he finds the big booty ones. But he he already knows he's gonna die, and he still can't help himself. It's yeah, funny. Yeah, me. I think I think it actually happens like it's maybe part of the Sixty percent, yeah. But like, how else are they gonna like keep their? I know, but it's like, insect, I, like if thing. I do this, I'm gonna die. I might die. Yeah. Hey, male I mean, instinct is not always smart. <laughs> yeah, that's some crazy. I mean, stuff just saying. Uh, the peacock, <laughs> the peacock always trips me out too because the the male peacock is the one with like all the showy tail feathers and everything. And uh, yeah, it's just and have you seen like? The like one birds too, like in like Brazil or whatever. I don't know. It's a special species of bird, but they'll like fully put on a show for the females, like and like dance around and stuff and try to get their attention. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty. It's pretty fucking funny. Huh. But yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I thought it was pretty interesting. It was pretty cool to me. I thought it was. Uh, they're like little beasts, man. I who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? Punk. Who'd have thought thought? Slim Shady would have been something you would have bought? Slicker, slicker. (laughs) Um, So, well, uh, today I got, uh, I'm on lostgoddess.io, Ed Dodge's website. And I'm going to read some little shorts that he has. He says uh, he has the lost myth of Gnostic mystery Jesus. Uh, Read this short story and imagine an entirely different Christianity rooted in mysticism and wisdom. Jesus and the three Marys faked his death in a political stunt, and through the power of the feminine divine, the woman elevated Jesus from a man into a god. But the male apostles did not approve of the revelations from women, and their stories were intentionally forgotten. Lost Gospels. So this is all uh, make-believe, what if. This is not uh, actual history, so... Don't get it confused, people. 300 years after Jesus walked the earth, Orthodox Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire, and all other spiritual traditions were banned. Temples were shuttered, books were burned, and priests were murdered. All rival religions were banned and blasphemy and exterminated with self-righteous violence. In 367 near Alexandria, 
Egypt, a Gnostic Christian monk, hid a collection of sacred texts in a clay jar buried in a cave. Some of the Gnostic Gospels recorded the lessons Jesus taught to his earliest followers, and they reveal a mystical Jesus wildly different than the Orthodox Jesus we know today. The Gnostics believed that one's personal revelation of God was more authentic than the teachings of many bishops or priests. The Orthodox branded them as heretical because they challenged their institutional authority. Precious few Gnostic texts escaped the purge. Gnostic mystery Jesus, Gnostic mystery Jesus teaches us the divine exists within all of us. And the path to the heavenly father is through self-knowledge or gnosis. Ignorance is a source of suffering and wisdom of salvation. Jesus taught us to embrace the wisdom of the divine mother alongside the heavenly father. And the Gnostic Trinity is father, son, and Sophia. Mary Magdalene is the Gnostic apostle to the apostles and the keeper of Jesus's closest secrets. Like how, how did he? Oh. <clears throat> like how he died and rose again. The mysteries were ancient woman-led traditions that taught initiates the secrets of immortality and the cycle of life. Hear the mystical teachings of Gnostic Jesus and learn the secrets of his mysterious resurrection. Knowledge of self. Should you who possess everything not know yourself? If you do not know yourself, will you not enjoy what you own? But know yourself and what you have enjoy gospel of philip ignorance is the mother of all evil ignorance will eventuate in death because those who come from ignorance neither were nor are nor will be but those who are in the truth will be perfect when all the truth is revealed for truth is like ignorance while hidden in rest in itself but when revealed and recognized, it is praised in that it is stronger than ignorance and error. It gives freedom, the word said. If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Ignorance is a slave. Knowledge is freedom. If we know the truth, we shall find the fruit of the truth within us. If we join it, it will fulfill us. Gospel of Philip. So this is another short story. Jesus and the Feminine Divine. Jesus had close relationships with many women, which was countercultural for his era. Jesus knew that women brought wisdom and they formed his inner circle. Peter and some of the male apostles did not approve and wanted the women gone. A student once asked the Lord for something from the world, and he said, Ask your mother, and she will give you something from another realm. Gospel of Philip. The three Marys. Three Marys walked with the Lord, his mother, his sister, and Mary, his companion. His sister and mother and companion were Mary. Gospel of Philip. Wisdom, mother of the angels. Wisdom, who is called barren, is mother of the angels. The companion is Mary of Magdala. Jesus loves her more than his disciples. He kissed her often on her face, more than all his disciples. And they said, why do you love her? more than us. The Savior answered, saying to them, Why do I not love you like her? If a blind man and one who sees are together in darkness, they are the same. When light comes, the one who sees will see light. The blind man stays in darkness. Jesus said, Whoever knows the father and the mother will be called the child 
of a whore in Gospel of Thomas 105. Peter said to them, Mary should leave us. Females are not worthy of the life. Jesus said, look, I shall guide her, make her male, so she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, I disclose my mysteries to those who are worthy of my mysteries. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Gospel of Thomas 62. Jesus taught wisdom. His disciples asked him and said to him, do you want us to fast? How shall we pray? Shall we give to charity? What diet shall we observe? Jesus said, do not lie and do not what you hate. All things are disclosed before heaven. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing covered that will remain undisclosed. The disciples said to Jesus, tell us how our end will be. Jesus said, have you discovered the beginning and now are seeking the end? Where the beginning is, the end will be. Blessings on you who stand at the beginning. You will know the end and not taste death. That's about all. If you guys want to check out all the other uh, shorts that he has on his webpage, you can go check that out at uh, thelostgoddess.io. That's it for me. Wow. Yeah, I really resonated with that first passage you were reading about ignorance. And I I tell my kids every day, stupid kills. Like... But ignorance truly is bliss. It really is. Like, I wish I was ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Just, <laughs> that's what blue pill is, right? I mean, it's not being aware yeah. of your surroundings and what's going on in the world and just whatever, just being happy, just doing your day to day and not even giving a care about anything else that goes on. So I wanted to say that I have a new theory brewing. And most people think of the chalice or the grail hidden mystery of jesus and his children uh with mary or you know from like the dan brown book uh da vinci code and stuff like that but here is a thought maybe the chalice or the holy grail isn't necessarily about his procreation about where he came from his origins and i say that because i've been uh listening to the antediluvian world by ignatius donnelly uh on audio which is fucking fascinating and it's a uh, banger he talks about in there this cup motif and how it's associated with atlantis and i started to think well maybe the whole holy grail thing is just to say where he actually came from was atlantis and not necessarily that his seed was going on and if we get into box saga we can Talk about what a chieftain is and or a captain, a cup of tin, and uh what <laughs> what fluids were in there. So I mean, possibly it's his origin story and not so much his future self. Did you know that Portugal actually, if you break it down to Portugal, yeah. it means through you through you the grail? Yeah. 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 And then, and the Grail legend um, comes from, you know, like early 1700, like AD. And, and the then, Azores were, was a place supposedly of where Atlantis was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Outside yeah. the and pillars of Hercules. Grail represents the bloodline of priest kings and then also like an object. It's like it's a, has like a multiple meaning. Uh, Portugal became its own country, it was just Spain. And it was just like a region in Spain, and it was called Portugal with C A L E. When the Crusades happened, all of like the pagans and the Templars and all that stuff, they like went toward the coast 
started their own communities there and the Celtiberians. Yeah. And so I totally believe that the Azores islands are, um, the remnants of Atlantis. Yeah. Elaine has a lot of Portuguese and Portugal information. She's, uh, been studying that because we're Portuguese. Yeah. We're related to the first queen of Portugal, uh, Eureka of Castile. Mm. And, um, she like basically uh was um you know well, well okay that's first, interesting first, can you tell us first... more about uh the portuguese settlers that were going around and supposedly building all of these you know cathedrals and structures because there's a lot of this buildings that i look into uh you know for the resonant architecture stuff that i'm doing and a lot of it is you know yeah. there's a lot of portuguese settlement and i'm wondering if how much is it facade and how much is it like, you know, part of that, like monotheistic so, story written? Portugal became its own country. Um, it was appointed a king and that king was actually a French. He was French. So, uh, you know, it, it doesn't like necessarily follow like the Portuguese lineage necessarily, the, the hierarchy, because they, he wasn't even fucking Portuguese, you know? So like it, it goes, it like splits off and it ends up being like, you know, the Knights Templar and like uh, the hospitalers and stuff like yeah, that. Um, they were all like, you know, just like pagan, like Spaniards really. And then as far as Portuguese go, like they've always been like super into the Catholic religion and all of that. And um I don't know. As far as like uh, architecture goes and stuff that you're talking about, though, like, I don't know. I mean, they always have seemed to have money. So they're always being funded by somebody. Yeah, they're always you know? very rich. They definitely were a prominent, yeah. uh, you know, civilization in the 13th through the 15th century, building a shit ton of territory. And then the Templars were ended up turning into the Masons, right? I mean, it's yeah, pretty so, much on, well yeah. documented. Yeah, so look at, you know, follow the money, I guess, right? <laughs> but yeah, I totally believe the Azores Islands, though, are like remnants of Atlantis. And tomorrow, actually, I'm going to go have a conversation with um, one of our older uh, grandmothers in the family and ask her about stories that her grandmother used to tell her that were like either like fables or old like wise tales, you know, oh. because I bet you 100% stories that she was told as a kid that were like, yeah, so we could have her on the us. show. We could have her on the show. Yeah, we okay. could even have her on the show yeah she's very very uh very cognitive and i can have like a fluid conversation and she's real quick it, it works <laughs> yeah but yeah I'll, have, I'll get back to you guys and let you know for sure that'd be awesome me and roman have both been getting into atlanta stuff a lot lately so uh we've been really diving yeah. in and we have a guy on the show next month just wrote a new book about atlantis excellent well, then yeah. stay tuned for that, Fire Tribe. We're going to give you a little Ed Dodge. Enjoy and wake up. Wake up. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into today's show. We are rising from the ashes. We as the fire tribe will rise. Awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. We can extend our consciousness to 
to rising from the ashes i'm daniel naki dan and i'm the homie romy hello daniel and hello, everybody hello. else today on the show we have my sister elaine how's it going elaine say hello to the people or not just <laughs> sweet okay well then also on the show today, we have Ed Dodge, the author of History of the Goddess from Ice Age to the Bible. How are you doing, Ed? I'm doing great. It's great to be here with you guys, and uh, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, we heard about you from Bruce de Torres. Love that guy. Such a sweetheart. I saw uh, saw you on Trying Day on uh, the author page thing, and I was like, ooh, I got to get Ed Dodge on the show. And uh, right, thanks. Bruce, yeah, yeah. Was... Bruce is a great guy. We've been doing a podcast together. It's a lostgoddess.io um, that people can check out. Like my main website right now is lostgoddess.io, which is like art mythology. And we've got new podcast and a bunch of different efforts. I got a bunch of original art, Puerto Rican artist named Juan Hernandez. And uh, he's been, it's, his stuff is great. So we've been telling a bunch of different stories on there. I've got, aside from my book, I've got Gnostic Mystery Jesus, which is like the short story where we sort of reimagine Jesus with the it's Gnostic fantastic. texts and the mystery religions all tied together with his resurrection. And it's just like a thought piece. I'm working on some other like uh, Epic of Ishtar, I'm calling it, where we take all the, the stories of Ishtar and Anana and then Astard from the Old Testament and string them all together into a long, show how it's all one long story of the goddess, the rise and fall of the great goddess. Yeah, do you think like the goddess story just kind of repeated over and over through the different generations and just names and stuff changes? I don't think there is any one specific goddess story. I do think that there is, I do have like a dualistic theology where I believe in like the father and the mother. And I've sort of come around to this over time. So like, I'm not an atheist. I do, you know, believe in God in my own capacity. And, uh, but I've come to realize that there's a mother to go al along with the father and that this is like, mother, it's mother nature. It's mother earth. We already know who she is. 
like she's already part of our culture. Um, mm-hmm. And that this was who Asherah and those traditions were in the Old Testament. And that you see them being thrown out um, in the transition from the Israelite paganism to Jewish monotheism. El was God. And so he had this wife was Asherah and all these mother goddess traditions. And then to make that transition, they had to shut those transit, shut those traditions down. And it's a lot of like, and and we see it being shut down ever since, because it's like a lot of our sexuality and women's independence, nature worship, it's all wrapped up in these mother traditions that, you know, Christianity and Islam have basically always hated ever since. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Elaine uh, just joined us. So, Elaine, say hello. Hello, hello. How's it going? Uh, there we go. All right. Excellent. Uh, so how are you doing, Elaine? You I'm got, doing pretty well. You got lost in the matrix there for a minute, huh? <laughs> Never ending story. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, Ed, uh, tell us like uh, how you came about to studying uh, the goddess of mythology and what led you to reading the book. Yeah, so it's, it's a funny story, really. Um, I totally stumbled into it. I was not looking to get into it at all. I had a, uh, I'd been studying the history of, of cannabis, of weed. Um, and that'd been like uh, something I've been studying since like college and high school, basically. Um, and I'd, I'd, in college, I'd tried to write a history of cannabis. And I realized that it was like a history of the world. That it was like a history of literally every civilization from the start, all of them. <laughs> and that like at 20 years old, I was not capable of writing like multiple histories of the world. You know, like thousands of the, I was just like totally beyond my capacity. So I gave up that project that year. You know, I wrote, worked on it for like a year though. And I always wanted to do it, you know, some variation on that ever since. Um, Cause I knew there was a good story in there of cannabis. At least I found it interesting. Um, Cause it goes back to the dawn of the Neolithic. You know, we, as I was saying before we started, like it was there in the Fertile Crescent when people first started agriculture, they had cannabis. Like we're talking about Turkey and Lebanon. Um, these were, we have our first Neolithic settlements and they were using hemp for both fiber and drugs. And they've been growing it for fiber and drugs there ever since. And then as you go North, it's all fiber types. And as you go South, it's all drug types. Mm -hmm. Um, But there in the middle, it was all three types, you know, the seeds too um, are nutritious. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been interwoven in our history ever since. And so I knew there was a good story there and I was just fishing around for something to tell. It's in American history, too. I can talk all about it with American history and founding fathers and prohibition and all that. Um, but I was looking at it in the Bible. I knew there were these parts in the Bible where it shows up with Moses. And there's like, the, are you familiar with these stories of cannibalism? That these, you know, this, this scholar, her name is Sula Bennett. She observed that there are these five specific references in the Old Testament where the translations have always been a little bit ambiguous. And it's called uh, the plant. It's a plant. And it's either translated as calamus which is a plant or aromatic cane, depending on the context for the translation. And it's been noted by scholars that that like doesn't really make sense. And like that, that's kind of an ambiguous interpretation. Um, and she made the point that it was, it was, it was cannabis, that the translation that was canna or cannabism, that this is cannabis and it's in Moses, mm-hmm. holy anointing oil. And it's in the song of songs and it's as a burnt offering in, in, in Yahweh's temple, all in the first temple period. Um, as well as, you know, and then it's with Moses. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I figured if it was sacred at one point, it was sacred at this time of Moses, but at some point later on, it, it stops being sacred. 
um, it gets thrown out of the traditions because it's not part of Judeo-Christian tradition today or, or any or in the last 2000 years. So at some point, like cannabis went from feminine. being in to being out. And I wanted to know at what point that was like I could identify that point in history. What happened? Get, um, do you know how they used the marijuana or is it ceremonial? Did they use it in certain ceremonies or? Well, they were definitely burning it as as incense and and on an altar as a hashish um as an incense altar i mean they've actually even found one archaeologists found they found this altar for for many years um in israel that's from that period but they did a chemical analysis on this in this past year in 2020 and published it and they published it Mm -hmm. that the chemical analysis of the residue is is cannabis and it's the first Mm -hmm. time that anyone's ever actually definitively proven that there was cannabis being burned in israelite temple and the when the nation of israel existed I'll AKA. say that it, 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 it's not. <laughs> What's that? I was gonna say. I was gonna AKA say it's really easy to. High. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey. So there was a lot more stuff going on though in this temple. It's like there's ritual pro. They're, they're the goddesses. I mean, these are those are a pagan temple. The whole. So then I stumbled into the story. I wanted to like figure out. All right. So what was going on then in the Bible? And then I wanted to know what the Bible story was, and and that's when I stumbled into the story of Asherah. And they're talking, the scholars are talking about that she was the wife of God. And I was like, what? Like, how can that be? Like, how can God have a wife? I was like, I went to church a lot growing up, and that's not how I ever understood the stories. So I wanted to understand how it worked. And what I came to understand was that, like, really, they were pagans, this whole first temple period, which is not what I was taught in church. Um, I always thought that they were Jews and they were monotheists. And these were just the foreign, you're taught that the Canaanites are these foreign gods that are influencing them. But no. In reality, the Israelites were Canaanites. These were their native traditions. And the followers of Yahweh were like these religious reformers that are trying to end these old traditions and start up new ones. So they're trying to put the priestesses out of business with their ritual prostitution because they're like, it's like a sex and drugs is going on in the temple. Um, Music and dance. um, And they're getting high and they have ritual sex to make the flowers grow because it's like an agricultural religion. Dude, uh, that is legit. That is so real. It works. It does. <laughs> Sex makes we the flowers to... grow. Yeah, for sure, 100%. 100%. All right. Well, they certainly believed it. They had all sorts of elaborate rituals and stuff, man. It's really funny. Um, That's awesome. You know, semen is rain. Um, it was like another one. And so, like, the girls, they know how to make it rain, you know? like <laughs> Semen is oh, wow. also uh, ambrosia or the nectar of the gods. And so cannabis is wrapped up in all of it because like, it's not just a drug to get you high. It's a midwifery medicine. The women can use it internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally wrapped up in midwifery. And then it's a fiber. It's uh, it's, they use it for burial for births and burials. So they, in Chinese traditions, they talk about it specifically that it's the alpha and the omega. It's the, it's the fiber that has the newborn and the corpse. It grabs you on your way in mm-hmm. and they wrap you on your way out. And they have really elaborate traditions in China for in Confucian traditions for hemp they hemp is used for burial cloths like all over the world mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and um in hebrew traditions but it's especially spelled out in chinese traditions and so like that wrapped up one of the most like used like even in like a relatively modern time period hemp fiber was i think one of the most like widely well the thing about hemp is it's the fibers, longest right? and strongest fiber of all plants so for all durable goods you wanted hemp for everything they're also growing linen um, and linen is a finer fibers. Linen's used more for clothes. Um, and there's overlap between linen and hemp because they can you know, be pretty similar. 
but the strongest stuff is all hemp. So you need that for shipbuilding, for strong ropes, bow and arrows. Um, we're all hemp, um, but especially like strong ropes, and especially for ships. Like they would import fine grades of hemp all throughout antiquity and right up until the industrial revolution. It never goes out of style until the industrial revolution and the end of sailing. And then hemp just like collapses as a commodity when it had been like the backbone of civilization all, up, all the way up until then. Well, like hemp also um, is very fire retardant. So I'm sure that. Oh, yeah, and- there's like, yeah, it's great. Um, they have, as these asbestos qualities, there's legends about yeah. that. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. You can even make like concrete out of it and everything, anything, doing that today. anything and everything. Now, some of the hemp theories are a little overblown. Like they didn't make it illegal because it was an industrial threat. That's not actually true, but, um, but it is a great fiber um, and it does have tons of value and it still has value today for sure. And definitely oh. shouldn't be illegal. <laughs> so, well- they didn't make it, uh, they didn't illegalize it because of an industrial threat. Why did they illegalize it then? It's tacked okay. on to opium prohibition. Um, I mean, opium prohibition was what it was all about, and that was an international movement throughout from the turn of the century. So, the United States didn't even lead the way on prohibition, it was being done all over the world, although America was a leading factor. But opium was a really big deal in the 19th century. They were, it was a mass, it's been a massive commodity for a long time and really one of the most important commodities in the world. And at the turn of the 19th century, like there was big problems with it. There was, you know, in China, there was big problems with it because of the, what the British had been doing. And, and then in America, it was, it was addiction was a problem among like middle-class white women. And so there was like a really a big push to try and, um, you know, do something about it. And so they started cracking down, but then, and in the international treaties, um, when they, when they, finally went through to making opium illegal, like in the teens, they basically threw on hashish as like an add on and kind of an afterthought. It was really the Egyptians and the Turks who were like, if you're going to make opium illegal, you have to make hashish illegal too, Mm. because they're like, they're just, they look the same. They're traded. They're used side by side. They've been used side by side forever. They're traded. They're used by the same people traded alike. So you have to make them both illegal. And most of Europe didn't even know what hashish was. Um, and then the Americans were all on board, like Harry Anslinger and that whole generation of conservative prohibitionists. You know, the temperance movement was a big deal here in the United States. And so marijuana prohibition is tacked onto that. Um, you know, in marijuana, you know, in Mexico, like the Christians have like hated marijuana for a long time. It's really ticks a nerve for them. And that mm-hmm. goes back to the Middle Ages. Um, in Mexico, the Mexican Catholics hated, hated, hated marijuana. And so by the time it when when it's coming into America, it's already hated. Mexico made it illegal before we did uh, and more and they were more harsh about it than we were. Hmm. Yeah, because and even as harsh as we were, even as harsh as we were, like Mexico hated it more. Because most of the time we hear about like it, it was because of DuPont and they're making plastics. Yeah. And- Jack Hare. God bless Jack Hare. That guy's book changed my life. The hemp conspiracy, the uh, emperor wears no clothes. But the hemp conspiracy theory is just flat out not true. He, like it's just not true at all. The Duponts could have cared less about hemp. It was not. Nobody made money on hemp. Hemp was never a money making crop for a lot of reasons. It's mainly because it's too labor intensive. People but make they were a lot of money on the world, <laughs> and they never stopped growing it in Russia and China all through prohibition. They never stopped growing hemp. If there was money to be made on it, they would have been making money on it. Um, it's very labor intensive, though. So what's the connection uh, between uh, marijuana and the goddess then? 
how does how do they relate oh yeah so that's what is what is the symbology there oh it's more than symbology so this is where i stumbled into the story of asherah i wanted to know who asherah was um because i'd never even heard of her like i'd gone to church all my life growing up and i never even heard of asherah so that yeah the fact that she's mentioned 40 times was a really mind shock mind-boggling to me i really wanted to understand you know who is what was this culture like what what did if you believed in asherah what did you believe like what was your what was your traditions what were your worldview like what were you all about and so that's when i started learning about these pagan mystery religions and that there's like really a a suite of interconnected interconnected traditions all over the near east and they just like change the names but it's all the stories are staying the same and it's these dying and rising gods what they call the mystery religions the dying and rising gods they're all just a repeat of the same tradition it's a, a a a tragic god is killed usually male but not always and then is raised back to life by the powers of a great goddess who's who's the hero of the story and that this is a, an important tradition in that community that confirms the turning of the seasons and like a springtime new year's festival um and that these were common traditions all over the near east and they just changed the names of them and so you've got them the most famous ones are the Eleusinian mysteries in in greece uh, with Demeter and her daughter Persephone, mm-hmm. um, which is also wrapped up with Dionysus and all that stuff. So um, mm. Dionysus, Dionysus is worshipped alongside Demeter in Greece. Mm. Um, and so all the traditions of Dionysus are like the wild, um, you know, the god of wine and ecstasy and mm-hmm. theater and all the drugs and gay sex. All that's wrapped up in Dionysus. Um. And he was worshipped along. Those festivals are done with Demeter, with the, with the mystery religions. But Dionysus is all over. The, Dionysus was not just in Greece; he was all over. So the, in the when the Greeks brought him in, they that's where they hooked him up. Yeah, I think of like the Osiris story too. Is is very much the same story. Yeah. Right. So Isis and Osiris is the one from Egypt, um, yeah. and that's another one of the most important ones. Isis restores Osiris back to life. Um, in the Canaanite traditions, Anat restores Baal back to life and their Bible characters. Um, Ishtar raises Tammuz back to life. And then Tammuz is also Israelite. Um, uh, so there's a bunch of them. Sibylle raises Addis back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all, again, these, these turning of the season stories are all about growing plants. Is there one the for Jesus? And yeah, then Jesus so is totally, when we get to Jesus, it's also steeped in all these traditions but they change it from a nature-based tradition into like an immortality tradition and they take out the mother goddess and they make it about just the father and eternal life and this is one of the key distinctions between monotheism and the goddess thinking is that the goddess traditions are all circular it's all turning of the seasons all um circular life wheel of life life uh death and rebirth not just traditions but the way it's a way of thinking um and in monotheism, everything is linear and you talk about eternal life and immortality. And we like think about things in very linear terms and it's never really in circular terms or um, even when we build an object and we, we put a monument up and we expect it to stay there forever. Like we like build things and like to think of things in internal terms um, in the, in the West and the monotheism. What, what is, what do these goddess represent? Like what, Asherah, what does she represent? Uh, is she's not just a fertility goddess? What other? Well, so her place in the pantheon is that she is 
uh, that she is the, uh, the, the wife of El. El is the old sky father. So El and Yahweh were two separate gods in the, in the Bible. That's why we have two names of God in the Bible, God and, and the Lord, because it's, it's the father and his son. And, and El is the really ancient sky father across the entire Near East. He's got a couple of different names. He's On or Anu, and then he's El. But he's really old, and he's um, the father of all the gods. And then Asherah is his wife. She's the mother goddess, and she's the mother of all the gods, basically. And then she is, um, she's, on will be, like, El will be like distant and removed from human affairs, but Asherah is down close and she's intimate with everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's why you've got the Asherah poles and they're next to the altars. And um, the, uh, <clears throat> and all the, the mother goddess traditions, like the Virgin Mary is the same. It's like she's, she's close and intimate at hand. Mother nature is close and intimate at hand. Um, whereas the sky father is like, far away, you know, forming the cosmos. Um, and so that this is kind of a common theme as well. But uh, does she represent like wisdom or uh, war? Yeah, the wisdom or... is wrapped up. So like there's all these different goddesses and each one has her own thing. So you got the triple goddess, the mother maiden in death. And so in the Old Testament, that's Asherah, Astart, and Anat. So Astart is the goddess of love and war. She's really the most popular one. She's like Aphrodite and Athena combined, really. Um but she really is, is as the sex goddess, she becomes Aphrodite, um, but she's also Inanna in the older traditions. And she's got a bunch of different names, but she's the queen of heaven. She's the most popular one. She's all passion and sex um, and war. Um, and then Anad is her sister, who is like this death goddess. She's like Kali of the uh, of the Hindus. She's got a skull necklace and a belt of human hands. And she's Baal's consort in the Old Testament. And she is... Um, She's like this goddess of slaughter and death. And, and there's this triple goddess motif repeats over and over again. And all the cultures have them. Um, uh, and for the Greeks, it was um, Demeter, her daughter, Persephone, and Hecate is like the, is like the death goddess, the goddess of night magic. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is Oreskogal. She's a queen of the underworld for the Sumerians. Um, uh, uh what's her name? Sekhmet for the Egyptians is another death goddess. There's a bunch of these death goddesses. I didn't realize there was that many death goddesses. Uh, I always yeah. thought like Hela, Hela from like Norse mythology was like the another only, one. only one. Oh yeah. Freya. So got- Freya is the equivalent to Ishtar in Norse mythology. And Odin is the equivalent to El and mm-hmm. Thick where there's life, there's death. So if you have a goddess of, you know, if you have one of, you know, that brings the light and brings the life and creation, you're going to also have the polarity side of that. So and also you just need the full gaps. cycle of life. And the Hindus have all these, these, these traditions are really well expressed for the Hindus. So mm-hmm. Asherah, Astar, Tanenat, like compared to Parvati, Durga, and Kali of the Hindus. Um, and and mm-hmm. it's, again, you see these traditions repeating over and over again. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't realize that so much. Uh, is there any like twinning going on here too? Uh, a lot in, when we talk about the male side of things that from from mythological stories, you often see like some twin, and that's to represent like your your ego and yourself, your higher self and your lower self. Is there any kind of like ego thing going on with the goddesses too, or is it mostly just father or mother, daughter, and? I mean, I think that in this stage of paganism, it's like pretty like visceral stuff. I don't think they've, I think the philosophy hasn't really advanced. That's like more like once you get into Greek philosophy and you get to these wisdom traditions, 
things get a little more sophisticated as you get farther on in history. I think these farther, I think the farther back you go, the, the stories, you know, the cuneiform stories are not as like complex as like, as you get with the Greek writing later on, but you do see the beginning of the wisdom traditions with, in, in the Bible with King Solomon and he's a big goddess worshiper. And that's like, you know, I say King Solomon is like this bridge between um, the pagan traditions and, and the Sophia traditions of the Greeks um, that travel on where the, mm-hmm. where, where the wisdom is female. And that's like a big part of her, her character um, is, 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 yeah, that she brings, she's mother of all life and, and wisdom are like the two big sides that I associate with. with the that's mother. interesting to me because like the wisdom aspect uh, kind of connects with like the Akashic record and how we can all tap into this uh, knowledge library that exists in the ether or whatever. And it seems to be connected with maybe Asherah or the Akasha. Um, and so it seems like it's a perpetuation of the same idea of the wisdom of the goddess. And it seems weird that we would uh, try to get rid of this goddess idea. I want to bring but- it back. I mean, this is the thing, like, um, the whole reason I did this isn't because I'm like the world's greatest scholar or that I'm going to like be winning that my book is like better scholarship than other people's. The whole reason is that I think these things are politically relevant today that in these, in these goddess traditions, it gives us insight into how to deal with climate change. Like I'm a big, this is my issue is like, I do, I'm come from the renewable energy. I work in solar power today. I was writing for years on clean energy. And I'm a big believer that to get to net zero carbon emissions that we need to be doing ecosystem renewal like crazy. Um, and also, meanwhile, adopt natural gas, methane to replace coal and oil, but don't get rid of the natural gas. We need the natural gas because the greenhouse gases are actually all biological gases. They're good for life. They're not bad. The greenhouse gases are good. We just have too much of them because we're fucking up the environment all over the place, which is making the temperatures go up and creating all the climate change. But they're not pollution, you know, they're biological. And so we need to be doing ecosystem renewal. And that's what these old religions were like. They're trying to grow plants like crazy. They're all about agriculture and fertility of mm. life. And like, how can we grow plants like crazy? And that's what I think we literally need to add be doing. extra carbon in the air, add extra CO2. And then the plants will can, you know, digest that and grow more. Absolutely. I mean, CO2 is, is plant food. I mean, that's literally what it does. Like it feeds plant life and the carbon gets stored in the soil as you build up the soil that's literally the carbon dioxide coming out of the air, becoming soil carbon. And when trees grow, that's all made out of carbon. We're made out of carbon. Carbon is like the building block of life, but we're trashing the cycle at both ends. We're putting too much carbon in the air from fossil fuels and we're trashing the ecosystem. So it can't absorb all the carbon on that end. We need to be fixing both sides. When we fix both sides, then we actually can have a certain amount of natural gas being used to drive civilization because we can't actually get rid of it all. Um, and then we can soak it up all in our ecosystems and it's a cycle of life and it's a circular thinking. And it's all about circular economy and zero waste and modeling nature. And then also like with transgender people, like I, I think it's an important part of the conversation that's being overlooked is that like for all the, you know, argumentation that's going on about trans people right now, no one's talking about the fact that they were like sacred and totally celebrated and totally special for thousands and thousands of years and played this incredibly important role in these cultures because they were like the high priests in the goddess traditions. They were men who had, were trying to get into the femme so they would castrate themselves. Um, you know, they'd be eunuchs. Um, 
And that was the trans people of the ancient world. They were doing it for thousands of years voluntarily. Mm-hmm. We have deep traditions yeah. about it because um, like these traditions go on into Roman times. So we've got the Roman versions in the cult of Sibylle, who's like a mother goddess, like equivalent to Asherah. This was like a tradition in Rome. And it's like a really wild and crazy religion because it's like literally sex and drugs and blood and like orgies and like, and it's really, really old. And it's like kind of scandalous, um, but they were doing it. And they had these big parades and these big drunken parties and like men would castrate themselves. It's what it's wild stuff. And um, I think it's like at least worthy. Sounds like modern occult. <laughs> and so, you know, cause like, you know, all the, as crazy as like your, your freakiest lefties can get in the party world. Like people were pretty crazy in the ancient world too, man. They were like, <laughs> There's nothing that people haven't done already, you know? Um, well, I'd say the crazies being, uh, you know, like it's it's manipulated and, and socially engineered now to kind of keep us like at our, you know, state as we are in the peasant realm. And all of this information in which you speak and all the occultic information and esotericas being held and those rituals and practices are 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 heavily available to those you know initiate and it kind of leads me into so uh, a question you brought it up i was i was wondering when we were going to get into the androgynous transgender uh topic because it is rather fascinating you know we have seen uh, a rise of feminine uh power happening a rise of you know diversity uh people of color transgender people you know coming to the surface in modern society and it and it being uh regular regulated more and more right it's obviously not the most fucking popping thing but you know it, it's happening right and there's movements towards it but at the same time my mind my conspiratorial mind makes me think that there is an agenda at play with it that doesn't necessarily have to do with the benefit of the people. And it has to do with like a flipping of power. And I'm wondering if it's something cosmic or astrological or something that has to do with some occult information about, you know, um, a cosmology, a cosmological switch or something happening. Cause we're talking about also heating up the planet. Um, you know, I'm wondering if global warming is also happening for a reason and all these things coming to a certain pinnacle pivotal point. I don't know, but it's fun to think about. Well, I mean, I think we're clearly, you know, civilization's gone through the looking glass. Like we are like on the flip side of something and just look around like the nuclear age, the space age, cyber age, plastics age. I mean, we are into uncharted territory as a civilization and we don't really know what's happening or where we're going. Um, and so for me, I'm just like trying to like be concerned with practical things and like, how do we like get towards, you know, surviving really? Cause like, it's, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know what the timing is on events, but things are going to like break at some point, but yeah, I see, like, our, I see that there's wisdom that we can guide us to like solutions. Our society mm-hmm. is not ready for what's coming. That's definitely for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Roman though. You know, there's something that's going to happen and something is going to flip. And I don't think anybody's ready and only the, you know, the toughest skin are going to survive, but we're just like, so not used to any of, you know, the dark side of cult customs. It's something about the word transhumanism too, with it and transgender and transhuman, and then the merge of AI and the cyber age. Mm -hmm. 
And then this old world knowledge of the divine feminine. I, it's like the, the timing of, of, you know, the, the Holy Roman empire creating uh, Christianity and that, that whole story. And then the div- Catholicism and the, the mother being stripped out of the story you know, it's like, I wonder if it was something that they did then because they knew it would be something in the future that would snowball into the effect that it has now to where, you know, centuries later, it's it's so far out of the realm of consideration that, you know, or I wonder if it was that well thought out or they were just so, you know, they were just so triumphant in their and their victory that uh, that they did it then and there. And they were just like, you know, we're squashing it. I wonder if they knew they would have this snowball effect that it's come to today. I mean, I don't think people could possibly know what this, yeah. what the effects would be, but I do think that they squashed the feminine on purpose. I mean, that was clearly very, very intentional and it had a lot of political institutional uh, aspects behind it. And it was violent, you know, and it was like with force. Um, and they really, you know, you look at the witch trials off of the middle ages, you know, mm-hmm. for centuries, um, it, it it was going on for a long time. Yeah, I'd say what is the re- what is the reasoning behind it? To me, it just seems like uh, Catholicism, the Holy Roman Empire, just wanted to get rid of anything that was overtly pagan and destroy that. And so they got rid of the goddess also because it's uh, uh, about sexual fertility and everything like that. And uh, they're more of a, a modest group, I guess. They wanted to be a uh, had the woman covered and everything like that, not talk about sex in the open. And it was only supposed to be yeah, I mean, for I, I procreation. Mean, it's a very narrow, I mean, monotheism is a very narrow theology and it's totally authoritarian. It's like authoritarian and institutional. And it's like, it's like an authority fetish. Um, and anything that violates their worldview is like, gotta be rejected. I mean, it's, I mean, any kind of heresy, they were burning people to stake for, for you know many centuries. So anything that just like, didn't wasn't like already pre-approved thought. I mean, it's a totally it's total totalitarianism. Um, this so, is uh, so that is the reason then. Yeah, totalitarianism is the is my yeah because it's a mind control cult and like anything that violates their their notions and what could de- what defies monotheism more than the mother? I mean, I mean, it's they're, they're mm-hmm. literally saying there's a father alone and no mother. So anything that reminds you of the mother has got to be has got to be pushed away. And, and, and the mother's why, probably more powerful as well. And there that's, that's, she the certainly large, challenges his authority. She literally yeah. will challenge his authority. And she, you know, and that's the thing with these old Ishtar stories is that those goddesses from the bronze age, they don't, they're not, they're not from the patriarchy. They don't de- bow down to the male gods, Asherah, Astar, Tanenat, and their, and their mythologies, they're not ever like seeding position to like either the father or their husbands or anybody. Like the women are, are respected and they have power over the men and they take power from the men and they challenge the men all the time. Um, and that's a in like, and if you want to live in a patriarchal world where your daughters don't even have those ideas, you've got to get rid of those stories altogether. You can't even like have your daughters exposed to such characters. You would never expose your daughters to Ishtar. If you know anything about Ishtar's mythology, you know that like, I mean, it wouldn't even pass censorship rules and like under traditional American, <laughs> under traditional American censorship, you couldn't even read Ishtar's liturgies like in school, like because they're like totally like R rated or X rated. Like, you know, who will plow my vulva? Come plow my vulva. And like over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. It's like super, super graphic. Wow. Um, 
climb into wow. the holy loins of Inanna, uh, my shepherd king. Um, oh, yeah, it's very sexual. It's very graphic. Hmm. Yeah, we, we definitely have to change a couple of choice words <laughs> while reading to children. <laughs> yeah, so like you wouldn't even. And she's a prostitute. Like, pants. They celebrated. Yeah. Hey, well, we talk about prostitutes in my house, but anything like uh, something with the vulva, we're not going there. <laughs> I mean, the high goddess was a prostitute, like literally the most the, the queen of heaven, the most the most the number one goddess Did- lived higher was a prostitute who was totally promiscuous, who did not believe in monogamy as a matter of principle. Let's dive into that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. And so, like, if you want to have a patriarchal world, you cannot have those kinds of characters, even the floating around. You can't have those stories even floating around at all. So when, when, when was the actual destruction of the goddess? Like, when do you think was, like, the culminating point when the goddess went away well, two, and they two stopped specific worshiping moments. So it would be um, fifth century BC is when after the exile to Babylon, uh, that's when the Jews, that's when they become the Jews and they write the Torah and it, and they bring it back to start the second temple and that they're, they're monotheistic Jews at that point. So that's fifth century BC. That's, but the Jews are just like a little tiny community. Like they're a total minority within the broader pagan world. And then it's like a thousand years later after Christianity has become the state religion of Rome in the fourth and fifth centuries AD is when the Christians crush all the pagan traditions and force them out. They close them down by force and by law and shut down pagan temples, shut down pagan schools, shut down any. Now it doesn't completely go away in the country, you know, out in the, out in the hinterlands, out in the culture, paganism still remains, but you weren't allowed to like do it publicly. So there's a two big phases, but she never completely goes away. And I think she's coming back. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. I think there's yeah. something down. we're getting ready for. <laughs> Do you think the high priests were the, they were actually prostitutes, like they were prostituting themselves to men or was so it the, the Kadesh, the Kadesh are our characters. In the, old, the Kadesh are definitely ritual prostitutes. I and mean, we don't know the finer points. I don't claim to know the finer points okay. of what their traditions were exactly. But um, but there's there's various characters that are that are in the Bible that are these Kadesha. I mean, if you know the Bible stories of Judah and Tamar, she puts on her veil and and tricks Judah. She's being a Kadesha. Uh, the Kadesha so, are named in the. Is that like Mary also? Because she was a, a prostitute supposedly. So was she just a high priestess? Oh, Mary Magdalene. Yeah. So it never says in the scripture that she's a prostitute. That was like made up by various popes. Um, it does say Jesus drove seven demons out of her. Um, this is my whole short story of Gnostic mystery Jesus. I'm like positing that she was totally wrapped up in the mystery traditions and that um, that they use. Well, I don't think that she's sexual with Jesus. I don't think that. But I do I do say that they that they resurrected Jesus, that that um, they basically have to argue that Jesus survived the resurrection by being sedated on the cross to make him appear dead and that they brought him down. Um, mandrake with cannabis and the cannabis cannabis. potion and that the women did it and that it told cannabis you in fact could do it It it's actually totally um you know it could be mixed with other drugs too um that's how he became the most high well then like it literally will (laughs) knock you out for two days but yeah the most high (laughs) he's the most high god the most high god that's awesome yeah i mean enough cannabis i mean you can be knocked out for multiple days i experienced that myself plenty of time 
Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's hundred percent true. Yeah, like a really strong tincture can like knock, knock, knock you out. Oh knock, yeah, knock, knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> I was gonna say earlier too, um, when we were when we were talking more about cannabis and the marijuanas, uh, that uh, it it's it's really easy to it's such a resinous plant that it's so easy to take some hot stones and take a bunch of the bud and to squeeze and get fresh rosin out of it and fresh like of the fresh pitch which is incredibly medicinal if you take fresh flour and squeeze it with hot plates right. hot rocks you know they could they i their their measures uh measures of extraction uh, we're probably really fine tuned because I, I I do believe it was heavily embedded into the ancient society, um, and yeah, the timeline with that going away with the mother goddess, which I heard you talk about on one of your uh, videos, because this connection that people have that consume cannabis have no doubt that there is a mother Gaia consciousness that there is totally. this I know it's like divine like warm mama. It, it, that you were asking before if they're about the connection of cannabis and uh so when i started doing this exactly to your point um when i was doing my research on the on the on, on cannabis with ashara in the, in the temple and i started making all these connections i had been studying cannabis history all along and i had that in my background i realized that i could just follow the cannabis and that that would be all the places that also had the strongest goddess traditions. And then I actually figured out that it was kind of like a rule that it was like all the cultures wow. where cannabis grows thickest have the strongest goddess traditions. You see it in India. You see it with the Scythians who are like these nomadic horse riding people, kind of like the Dothraki from Game of Thrones. But they were like these real nomadic horse lords from Central Asia that were all apart all around in antiquity. They were totally cannabis smokers and they and that's where cannabis comes from, like in Central Asia, even before the Neolithic. Um, they totally were total potheads and they have really, they have mm. a total like their whole pantheon is led by a goddess queen. Like they're not even led by male gods at all. Um, and uh, oh, and in Turkey too, like in, in Lebanon, Turkey, like again, it all repeats. What's Ephesus. their goddess queen of the Scythians? I can't name her, think of her name. She's like really obscure. We don't really have any stories. Um, oh. But it's uh, like uh, Daniel Herodotus talks about him in, the, in Greek writings. If you write that, if you're familiar with that, Herodotus wrote the history of the Greeks or mm -hmm. wrote histories. He's a Greek guy from 500 BC, right around the same time as the Old Testament. He wrote all sorts of histories of, of the of like that region. He talks about the city. He talks about them smoking weed. He talks mm -hmm. about them making these making. Uh, it's actually our oldest documented bone pipe reference to people. Some people getting high for fun is. Um, Herodotus describes the Scythians making these tents and they would have hot rocks in the center of the tent and they would throw cannabis on top of the hot rock and they would hot box inside the tent and they would get so stoned and they would howl and scream. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> and they're talking I about just that see, that's so awesome. I just see like this like Empress Queen and like all these stoner dudes like following around like little <laughs> not only have they like, not only did Herodotus write about you, that my dear yeah anything for you my queen <laughs> absolutely and so they had warrior women I've these were mind. the Amazon warrior store all the these they these had a very uh, egalitarian culture and they had the girls were fighters and so they had tons of women warriors yes, and they yeah. were the Amazon warriors of the Greeks mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the Greeks wrote about them and so not only did Herodotus write about them with the weed, but they've also archaeologists have found them because the Scythians were all over 
they ranged all over up to Siberia and all over out to China. And they're, you know, really well known. And so in tons of, there's tons of archeology span on them from a long period of time. And they've totally found cannabis and these same kind of sensors that they use for burning it that Herodotus describes. They found it all in various graves. It's like been totally documented by archeologists. Do you know why they call them the Amazon warriors? I was curious about that. That's actually debated. Um, Cause there's no Amazon there. It's, I mean, it's from the <laughs> Greeks. I mean, the Greeks, that was what they called them and, and where the Greeks got the name. It's not entirely clear. Huh. Unless the name was set, pronounced differently, you know? Yeah. Was the, was the Amazon like rainforest in South America already, already known about? No, they named the Amazon rainforest after, or that at the Amazon river after what the Amazon from the Greeks. Oh, so they named it after, after that. Yeah. They're okay. pretty sure the Europeans gave it that name. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. Anything in South America. I mean, there's ever <laughs> all the Spanish is from Europe. It's like, it's such a convoluted sticky history and it's like and you, we could think like oh that's truly pure you know like mexican or paraguayan uruguayan and the next next thing you know you really dig down deep into it and it's it's so european um and so spanish that is like, isn't it's, uh, it's fucked up honestly they completely i mean the uh, cannabis man. is all imported Sorry, into the americas didn't you say a name of a goddess that started with a Z? I think I heard it in uh, the show that you did. Uh, Zona? Uh, Zenith. Um, yeah, Zona. Was I it mean, Zona? Zona is, in the Bible is a word for a regular prostitute as oh, okay. compared to the Kadesha. The Kadesha are the sacred ritual priestesses, and a, and a Zona was just like a, uh, like a brothel prostitute. Um, okay, because the Am Amazon Amazona, the Mazona, so that could be like the 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 temple prostitute warrior women. Mm. I mean, Ishtar definitely covers all that. Um, we have there's pretty good documentation, or at least a certain amount, on them. Well, to a point. We don't really know a lot of details about what these women did. We just know that they existed and we know they're around for a long time, all through Mesopotamia. We know a few things about them that they were called the holy, the word Kadesh means holy and they were the holy ones. Um, and they wore veils and they were like anonymous and they were like very revered and they were potion makers and midwives and did stuff in the community. It wasn't just like about sex. And some scholars say they weren't even having sex at all. Although I don't really think that's true because I think these are just generally sexual cult cultures. Um, hmm. So I do think they're having sex, but again, we don't really know. There's a lot we don't know, but we definitely know I, they were there. I, 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 I have a question too, <clears throat> kind of leading into that. Like polarity obviously is incredibly important, right? And in, in existence, you have to have polarity. And but countlessly, uh, we see the the feminine can procreate without the male. Um. And, and, and what, what are some stories that you've encountered that are just, that don't, it's just like the women creating without any sort of, uh, well, I mean, that, that's the essence of the Virgin mother. Around. That's the essence of the Virgin mother right there. Yeah. And, and, and all these mythologies, in fact, the next thing I'm going to write up that's mythology wise is speaking to this exactly, which is that, um, in like the ancient Mesopotamian traditions, they believe that the, uh, you know, the primordial first mover of creation was a mother who gave birth to her own mate, who's the father, and that they then, you know, made all of the gods. And that's, that's the story behind where El and An come from um, in the Mesopotamian tradition, but also you see it in the Greeks, 
where Gaia is the very, the very first source of creation is Gaia. And then a lot of traditions, it's there's a mother who gives birth. And even in the Greek or even for the Egyptians, it's, it's, it's this chaotic sea out of which uh, Ra is born and it's getting order and chaos model, but it's the same idea. It's like this primeval sea. And so they described it as the primeval salt waters. Um, and so the, everything was born from the salt waters uh, out of which comes the fresh waters and the salt waters is female and the fresh waters mm-hmm. is male. Um, and mm. then from that, they, you know, you get the mother, father and, and all the rest of the gods. But the key thing is, as you mentioned, the very beginning point of it all is uh, a, a mother who's all alone. And she's all by herself and she has to create from nothing. And and so that's the divine source of all origins. And salt is mineral too. So, I mean, that's, that's interesting because wow. Yeah. Yeah. Truly fascinating. I I hate getting into movies and I, I get on Roman for it all the time, but I was just watching this movie Eternals. And basically the concept of the movie is that they put all the people here on this planet to raise the vibration of the planet to an extent and then once that vibration is reached an eternal is born from the planet like kind of like the planet is an egg and then the the eternal is busy to like is growing is is being born from this egg which is the planet after the vibration is reached and i thought that was pretty fucking interesting uh because we're talking about how you know Gaia and the planet and the rainbow children everybody talks about raising your vibration and we're going into a different vibration and all these different things so it's just interesting to me yeah maybe the mother uh goddess maybe they ascended maybe they uh the true divinity is like this next level dimension and and it could be a dimensional thing and we're, we're stuck here on this physical plane and um and there could be something tied to this because when you think of heaven right you think of warm embrace when you think of this thing above the clouds it's a warm embrace when you go inside your mind and and the womb and go inside of that dimension the womb right <laughs> exactly it's warm embrace so yeah i i feel i you know i i, I think that ancient cultures were heavily in um into heightening their vibration but ascension it's all it is about ascension a lot of times and and uh to get back to the mother in which we are separated from now on the physical plane potentially well i think we've been beating her up i think we've been beating and raping her as a cultural as a cultural dynamic for a long time and uh we got to get back to restoring her um that's ultimately why i do this work it's like this has got to tie back to what's going on today. It's not just esoteric philosophy. It's like, it's got to relate back to, um, you know, solutions for things that had that matter now. Um, but I think that, you know, that there's more to life than just the material plane. Like I've listened to a lot of, you know, philosophy between like, you know, atheists and Christians or, or like, you know, ob- objectivists versus dualists. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the materialist thinking, the enlightenment thinking is really dominates our culture nowadays, or at least on the liberal left, it does. And, and, you know, and they really want to remove spirituality from the public square as sort of as a matter of principle. And I think it's a mistake. I think that like, I think we need to bring the discussion of spirituality back to the public square, but have it be a different discussion than we've been having. But the discussion we we're having was like, just 
it was divided between Christian Christianity and atheism. And I don't, I think that's too limiting of a discussion. Then there's a bigger discussion to be had about broader aspects of, uh, spirituality and in particular getting beyond monotheism and back to like this duality and having a mother and a father and recognizing that like the divine mother of all is literally mother earth, like the, the planet as like an organism mm -hmm. and that we need to start healing her. And if we start healing her, like we can actually have our civilization, like we can have our sophisticated technology civilization, but we got to do it in concert with the earth and not in hostility to the earth. And I'd like, like to just and say, there's uh, a spirituality aspect. That's to that. awesome. I like to say shout out to rising from the ashes because those guys did that last month. That's what they did. <laughs> good job, boys. Last month we we talked about uh, spirituality, God and Satan, good and evil, and uh, and kind of went through all those different aspects of what God could be and what evil is. And then we had a, a group show at the end of the month and talked a lot about spirituality and uh, with a bunch of other people who are from different uh, backgrounds in uh, belief. And uh, I think it, it helped kind of give a good understanding of what spirituality can be with or without religion and and how to just be a, a better person overall. And uh, I, I think it was eye-opening, at least for me it was. Um, so when you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, we just – covered that last month and that's why we're doing divine feminine this month because i think the goddess is an important part in spirituality and in belief and in just recognizing that aspect because that aspect of the feminine is to is is birth it's giving life it's uh you know the springtime it's it's giving life to everything here on this planet that we live on that is giving life to us. And when we take that out of the picture, we, we lose a lot for humanity and we need to uh, regain that back again. So we're trying to visit this divine feminine uh, this whole month and try to really get into that. Because, and I got some questions for you uh, later. Uh, about where we go in the future and and what that looks like but uh i i, I do want to get back into the Asherah story with Yahweh. Wait, i got a question hold go on ahead. um i was gonna say uh well more of a comment i think uh spirituality you know does go hand in hand with the earthly mother and everything because i mean it, it goes full circle you know and and I agree with Ed, we do need it to, to bring that back to modern day and be, you know, one with the earth and grow your fruits and vegetables and, you know, be grounded and give thanks and praise and, you know, everything like that. Because at the end of the day, that's what keeps us alive. That's what how we are surviving is through our earthly mother, you know, and everybody forgets that nobody ever thinks, you know, you go to sit at the dinner table. You don't ever hear anybody saying, you, you know, thank store. you, earthly mother. Yeah, right. They go to the grocery store. They don't ever like, you know, tend to her and give her love. And, you know, they just expect it without nothing. And we need to definitely get back to that. That is like what they need to be teaching in these damn schools. <laughs> well, they just teach now like the, you know, just to thank, thank your money for feeding you because it's just all boiled down to some money and it's not even spiritual even at the dinner table which like it used to be awkward for a little kid to close his eyes you know he's like i don't want to pray 
But now it's just like, oh man, thank God we can get food here on the table, you know, due to the the corporate overlords, and it's not even a part of the yeah. equation anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, oh. you're for sure, hundred percent right. Yeah, you're like, oh, I barely had this, you know, eight dollars to go buy four years of corn today, you know. Like, <laughs> let's think what we have in front of us, you know, for sure. But I don't think anybody does these days. Yeah. Thanks to praises, the mother and the father. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so to get back to Asherah a little bit, I always get confused with the story uh, because she's divorced from Yahweh. She marries Baal. But then I thought she... Like, right, so you, want, you want to tell you the story? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Asherah is the mother of... She's the mother of Baal. She's the mother of everybody. So Baal is the incumbent king of the gods. He so is like... This is kind of like Sophia giving birth to the Demiurge also then, right? Yep. In fact, exactly. And in fact, exactly not. Uh, maps the Gnostic traditions. If you change all the names, map back directly onto all this. Same model. Okay. It totally does. So Sophia is the mother. Um, Asherah is the mother. Um just putting it into pers some perspective for people to kind of and, associate. And so, and, and so in the Gnostic traditions, L is the monad. He's the, the, the real father. Mm -hmm. And the father's got one. There's one of his sons who's going to be the Lord. Only, and there can only be one Lord at a time. There's only one king of the hill. Mm -hmm. um, and so to become the new king, you got to displace the old king. And so there's always these constant struggles for the throne to who's going to be king of the gods. So when Yahweh comes along, Baal is the incumbent king of the gods. He's the old, he's fairly old. But Yahweh was a young god. Yahweh comes out of the Bronze Age collapse. He doesn't really appear before 1200 BC. Um, he's an Iron Age god. He's not a Bronze Age god. Hmm. And so Yahweh comes along, and that's actually a reform movement. They want to like end some of these old traditions. They're like this anti, um, like the abolitionists, you know, like they they want they're reformers and their their movement takes a long time to play out. Um <clears throat> And so the followers of Yahweh, you know, they want to take out Baal and they want Yahweh to become the new king of the gods. So you see this story happening in the Old Testament. Um, Yahweh competes with Baal to be king, like the, the, the contest of the prophets on Mount Carmel. If you're familiar with that story with Elijah and mm -mm. making the bull erupt in flames without anyone lighting on fire. Mm. Um, and then they kill the prophets. Sounds somewhere to Gilgamesh, too. And Gil the Gilgamesh, bull of heaven. You know, the king of heaven in Gilgamesh's time is um is Enlil. Well, he has to kill the bull of heaven, though. Is what the I'm bull saying. of heaven. The bull of heaven goes with El. It's one of his. That's the golden calf in uh, the Old Testament. Is the bull of heaven? Yeah. Um. So that 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 symbol is around all the time, too. <coughs> so in the in the Old Testament, what you see is Yahweh. He wants to get rid of all this old. The, he hates the ritual prostitutes. He hates the Kadesha. Doesn't like the goddesses. And he wants to take out Baal. And then his first contest is got to take out Baal. And at that point, Yahweh and Asherah um, are together. And so you see all these altars of Yahweh and Asherah together. The archaeologists have found that show Yahweh and Asherah side by side. And they say Asherah is his wife, but really Asherah is his mother. Um, and But mm -hmm. she's giving approval to Yahweh. But that's only in Judah. The rest of the place, Baal is still king. But as time goes on... Um, well, basically, it's like that the entire time. They, you know, the the prophets of Yahweh keep trying to chop down the Asherah poles and have it be uh, just Yahweh alone. But then that's not a very popular move, and so they were put him back up. As soon as that, there's a couple of different reform movements. There's uh, 
the two big ones are King Hezekiah in the seventh century and King Jose, and then King Josiah in the sixth century. And they both order pagan temples to be closed. They order the Asherah poles to be cut down, ground up into bit, ground up and burned up. Um, but as soon as those kings die, as soon they uh, they go back, the people go back to the pagan traditions. They go back to bring Asherah back. Um, Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, who's like the most reviled figure, she's a big worshiper of Asherah, and she is, uh, puts up a big Asherah pole, and she um, sponsors a temple to Asherah, and she is uh, trying to kill the prophets of Yahweh. She hates them, um, and she really is trying to kill them, and they really are like blood enemies, and they eventually kill her. Um, hmm. But you see this going on the whole first temple period. And then finally, the whole temple gets destroyed by the Babylonians. They all get sent into exile. And the, the goddess tradition had been there the entire time. They had never gone away. Um, but it's only after they go to the Babylonian exile and they start to, you know, they start from scratch again, basically, and write new texts. That's when they invent monotheism. And El and Yahweh are fused into one God. When before that, they'd always been two separate gods. Ah. Uh, do you think that Yahweh could have been Marduk? Well, they're occupying that same position as king of the gods for yeah. their community. So in the neighboring community, go down the road and Marduk is still king of the gods. Uh, okay. For Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the Babylon, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, like Marduk was their king of the gods. Yeah, because that's kind of my theory that I'm working with right now is that Marduk was Yahweh and Marduk was uh, Ra of Egypt. And uh, he kind of inserted himself as the, as the new uh, king. Um, because he's the one that also killed Enlil in Babylon. And, right. Well, that's uh, him replacing the previous king. Right. Um, Ra is more like El. Ra is is a, the father of all the gods. He's not. Uh, Marduk would be closer to like. I don't know. The Egyptian pantheon is different. The Egyptian pantheon doesn't map over exactly cleanly on the Indo-European. The Indo-European is like basically the same set of gods or the same mm -hmm. pattern from Mesopotamia through Canaan, through Greece and Greece and Rome, and pretty much all the way up to Norway, even up to Northern Europeans, but those come later. It's the same pattern all the way through. And so they just changed the names. The Gnostics mm -hmm. are using mm -hmm. the same pattern. It's like the same archetypal pattern underlying it all. And so you just change the names and, and it's the same characters. That's why Inanna and Ishtar and Astart are all the same goddess. Well, yeah, what, what, what I'm That's going what here I'm with is that uh, Loki is the one that killed uh, Baal, Baldur, in uh, Norse mythology, with the with the help of uh, another person, Hode, uh, but then uh, I think it's Marduk that killed Enlil in Babylon, but with the help of uh, somebody else. And that there's another story similar to I think with uh, Egypt and 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 Mot killing um, somebody, but it, it was actually like sent forth by the Satan figure, and it seems like uh, this Yahweh Marduk is inevitably uh this loki satan type figure that eventually takes over that brings in uh this new catholicism or christianity to everybody okay <laughs> <laughs> but that i mean that's just what i'm saying and because i'm making the connections with like all these people uh uh with with ball and with uh the satan figure killing the old god it, it seems to happen in, in mythology over well, and over again kind of comes in late that's a really a christian idea um like there's no satan in, in judaism well right satan 
figure is what I'm saying. Uh, because yeah, archetypal. it's archetypal. Yeah, it's an archetype uh, that comes in and 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 kind of rules over everything else and and has uh, it's the one that takes everybody away from the nature that is l the original l or on or an uh it takes it takes the nature away and institutes this uh fake nature this synthetic version of everything or it's, it's a replacement I mean, it's, yep. uh, I think, I mean, I, I feel like you're stringing a couple of different things together that I'm not really connecting, but that's okay. Um, my thing went orange. Uh, the, uh, I, I see these patterns that, um, okay. D well, tell me, tell me where I'm, uh, wrong then, because that's fine. I can be wrong. I don't mind. Well, I just don't, I don't still really figure <laughs> you Satan into it. We so, all like, should be wrong at times. I feel like, I, I, I don't write about Satan in my book because it's like, um, yeah, yeah, Lucifer. Um, then I, I, I almost like Christians have this way. I sort of have this sort of pet theory. It's not really an academic theory. Um, you know, they don't really, they really don't want you looking behind the curtain. You know, Christianity doesn't. They, you know, there's they're very big on like forbidden knowledge, like that you're only allowed to have accepted knowledge, and anything else is heresy and blasphemy. And so Satan forms this very important role culturally of telling people not to go over there. You know, like, don't go over there. Like, that's the forbidden section. And so anything that they don't want you knowing about, they tell you that's Satan does it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a very useful, like, crutch culturally. Um, and, you know, you know, when you're talking to people, you know, when you're instructing your kids or something that you don't want them doing something. Um, I don't know. That's the sort of notion I have. Um, but the, all that good and evil stuff, like, that really comes from that's the Zor that's a the Zoroastrian influence on. So when the, okay. when the Jew, when the, when the Hebrews go to Babylon, one thing that happens is like the Persians defeat the Babylonians and the Persians are very friendly to the Hebrews. Um, and they, they encourage them. They, they give money to go back and rebuild the second temple. They sponsor them to write the Torah. And they, this goes on for a couple of generations. I mean, they're there for an extended period of time. And it's the Zoroastrians that have like bringing these ideas that that's heavily influences monotheism. But also influences this idea of like uh, of good and evil as like these archetypes of theology, and that you'll have this um, this evil character to counterbalance the god character because that didn't really exist in the pagan traditions that there was like this bad guy like the gods themselves are like neither good nor evil they're very like um, you know they can be very destructive and cruel and they're like us yeah they're, yeah. they're reflections yeah, they, of evil. They, they, they make mistakes and, and they they destroy things, but at the same time, you know, they're still written of the god and you know the godly. And they're very algorithm. emotional and like yeah. um, passionate, um, and so they don't they're, they're not described as like good and evil. Is my point? Um, yeah, it's all, and that comes but, in later, and then right this thing, with Jesus, and then with Jesus, yeah, yeah. The but there definitely are more nefar nefarious. Uh, but the the thing is, is it goes into their, um, you know, their style of, of, you know, every God has a specific sort of reign and it's a type of, you know, archetype in the mind almost. It's a, it's a, it's a personality trait that we all have each of these individually. And that's why we're able to connect with each of them is because it plays a different part of the psyche. Um, you know, 
I mean, in my opinion, that's why we connect our psyche to the cosmos and we connect the gods to the cosmos. And there's a connection between, you know, these gods are, you know, written out of uh, the forethought of our minds and the deep intellect, you know, deep understanding of, uh, you know, think of the idea of of like, you know, God is within us or like God is within uh, like the Gnostics talk about, um, you know, self-knowledge as the, as the path to getting to know God. I mean, what's your notion on that? Today yeah, I came. I, I found that. out that I I wonder I wonder about this Jesus, G G Jesus like he is us. The Son of God is he's us, right? So like that's another weird little word connection. But like I yeah. I do believe that. I think that's I good. think we I think the gods are written you know are written about the consciousness and and the different fragments of our mind and and understanding psychology and. uh I, I believe that. I definitely believe that because I was going to ask you, Ed, about what you think about um, magic and uh, uh, um, physics back when the feminine was maybe around in the golden age when there was this, um, you know, high technology time like this, this time of the goddess, you know, being worshipped might have also been the time when cannabis was being smoked. And uh, there was also, you know people being able to psychically talk to each other or maybe even telekinetically uh you know <clears throat> have have telekinetic powers and move things you know how chemistry are they building all these temples you know or, alchemy huh alchemy I mean, there's, chemistry there's no exactly. That exactly ancient people had some tricks that we don't know what they were doing um yeah there's too much fantastic architecture from the ancient world that we haven't really properly explained you know i'm not going to go i'm not one for like ancient aliens or like Deposit, you know, elaborate high technology in the ancient world, but they clearly were doing some things that we haven't. They were more clever than we give them credit for, and they there's a lot of knowledge that's been lost over, over the centuries. That you know, I would love to know what the pyramids are all about because I don't buy that concentrated knowledge. Um, and you know, and there's other places too where it's like, you know, Machu Picchu is another famous one. Um, the Baalbek stones, maybe they've got it all figured out. But like, uh, there's just, uh, I don't, I'm very skeptical of a lot of like <laughs> conventional what? explanations we get on a lot of things. There's just so much more that we don't know that we, that, that we claim to know. Um, what's and it your, bothers me that people claim to be so authoritative about the ancient world. What's your opinion, Ed, on um, frequencies and, um, you know, vibration, resonance? Like, do you? What's your take on that? I'll tell you this much. I think anything where there's like been a formal study for like thousands of years, like seeing like Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese, you know, anything where, or like astrology, where there's like a really a long standing tradition, I feel like there's got to be something to it. And I'm not just going to just dismiss it. And there is a lot of stuff that goes way back on various types of vibrational stuff. It's not something I study, but it's sort of like the, I don't know what these lines are around the planet, these various magnetic lines around the planet that people talk about. The ley lines. Yeah, ley lines. The ley lines, exactly. Um, you know, in the way all these temples were built on the ley lines all over the world, like there's there's stuff, more stuff going on than we've quite figured out. And so, yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, the universe is vibrations. Like everything is is vibrating. Everything is energy. We were talking about this earlier with the, with the Hermes, uh, with the Hermetic traditions that like, um, 
you know, all matter is, is also energy. And so everything is vibrating, everything's in motion and there's way more, first of all, there's more stuff going on outside of our perceptions. This is what bothers me about like materialism and atheists who feel like that they know everything because it's all in the material world. And I'm like, doesn't science demonstrate that there's things going on outside of our perception that we couldn't possibly know about? Like the place, mm-hmm. the lines where physics breaks down, like, isn't that like the sign like there's yeah. more going on than we can possibly understand? So and like that- mainstream modern science is even t- turning around to it even more. Uh, which is good. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, definitely. And also too, like, doesn't that go back to um, like religion, the pagan religion or the Gnostic religion you were mentioning how, you know, they believed like in their self as being God, they controlled their destiny almost, or they manifested their destiny or um, I mean, I feel like that totally correlates back with that and their in the religious beliefs. Yeah, I mean, it's, the Gnostics are very like, there's a lot of parallels to like Buddhism and and Hindu, like uh, yogic traditions um, of like just getting within yourself and sort of like shunning all like material desires and sort of meditating your way to God, which isn't always practical for everybody on a day-to-day basis, you know, if you've got material needs and responsibilities. Um, but there's something to be said for, I think, in a in my life for just trying to get into the flow of like God and spirituality, like in the, to that state of grace as much as possible within my, like my walking life and absorb, like, like I like yoga and I do like, like yoga philosophy. And um, so I try to absorb that into like my walking life as much as I can. Um, not that I'm necessarily very good at it, but you just try and like get into that state of like trying to be with, it's not easy. The, the, the spirit not <laughs> fighting it, you know? yeah yeah it's totally. work it's it's like the most work you can do and i think it is the work that we're supposed to do um you know it, i mean i think it's inevitable that you know material possessions which are things that that's and that's that's a convoluted situation on its own you know because it's like how could these things that humans created within the atmosphere be you know non-organic how is you know anything non-organic if it you know exists within the realm and but um i think a lot of it too has to has to do with like perception because there's that uh inside without as above so below you know if uh you know you can eat like an inorganic fruit and you know like the glyphosate could attack your thyroid as it goes down into your you know weakens your gut flora and these things but if you you know, concentrate and, and, uh, you know, maybe transmute that, uh, you know, your body will healthily, uh, healthily digest it because it's not, you know, I, I don't know how that correlated to anything we were talking about, but strawberries <laughs> are delicious. Strawberries yeah. are delicious. Uh, oh my gosh. Do you have I anything? Think we totally. Oh, go ahead. Do you have anything about like, uh, like the oracles and, and kind of like the traditions of, of those women, are they associated with goddesses oh, at all yeah. or? Ishtar was a goddess of divination and prophecy. Um, so for sure, like that was one thing about the goddess of love, like the, those temples, the goddess of love and war was like the men before going to battle, they would go to the temple to get divination and to get, you know, the blessings to make sure that like it's, um, you know, that their, their mission is, is you know, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a good idea that the, 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 that the, 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 the oracles are, are blessing the whole, I, 
the whole thing. Um, they would go to battle and they came back from battle. They would go back to the temple again. And then they would be there. They would be bathed and cleansed and, and nursed back to health by the same priestesses. Um, and so it was, was kind of like, like midwife, like a, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a ritual. They called it washing the war out of man. And, mm. uh, and it was like, uh, you know, like both a healing and psychic and physical healing you know, practice that they did. I mean, it seems pretty useful, really. It seems yeah. like they would probably, probably benefit people today. Yeah, that's uh, facts. Yeah, it kind of makes me think about that prostitution thing, too. It's like maybe maybe they weren't actually doing sexual things, but because they're like cleansing naked people, they wanted to associate it with some type of sexual thing going on. No, I'm pretty sure they were having sex. No, they got money. They got money. Well, there's 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 also kund- kundalini work too. You know, there's stuff that's like so borderline sexual, but also so spiritual and so like deep within, like you know, releasing energy that people are having orgasms without even you know even having like there there's some. <laughs> I mean, this is in modern times. You can go to a, if you go deep in a Kundalini classes, like you'll be having some experiences and, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's damn near sexual, you know, and it's, Oh, you were uh, there. You were there. You were there. It's juicy. Oh, I, I love my yogis too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, Romy uh, has the punch card. <laughs> don't know what that means. Uh, Happy yeah, but, uh punch card. Yeah, the frequent flyer miles. Oh, shit. You know, uh, anyways, uh, totally lost my train of thought there. Uh, Kundalini's. Temple prostitutes. Temple prostitutes. Oh, yeah, no, I I think it goes hand in hand. I just wanted to say, like, I think back in antiquity, there was, um, you know, probably a lot more of this practice and work going on and people uh doing these types of energy exchanges and it was more normalized as opposed to being so taboo like yeah, you I can mean, barely go to an energy it's worker just, and get it is taboo um yeah debbie dasanas i think they call them are that i mean they're still officially temple prostitution in india legally speaking it's just that it's like totally at like the bottom of like the cultural um it's just totally the the, you know, the lower caste that does it so it's not respected but you know, it's, a, it's that's the thing about like monotheism is it doesn't respect any kind of feminine divine, so it doesn't respect any kind of sexuality, and really, as a culture, it becomes really hostile to any kind of like open expressions of sexuality. And we really, it's been really damaging to the psyche, I think, of our entire Western culture that like we can't deal with like physical touch and sex, and um, without like, it's very, um, I say we, but like the whole culture is very hung up and very schizophrenic about sex. Not that people don't do sex, but that like that the Christian traditions relative to like secular traditions are totally schizophrenic. We don't really know how to how to deal with them. Um, I mean, that's one thing I think about, like bringing back a discussion of this temple prostitution. Not that I think that like we should go back to starting it up again, but that it's like I do think it helps frame the discussion between like Christian purity culture on one hand and liberal free for all on the other hand, which is just like the only rule is consent. And aside from consent, anything goes. I feel like we need to have a little more, not boundaries, but just like discussion of like what's wise and what's not wise. Yeah, I think there's a a, a kind of like a, a fine line there of uh, what is grotesque sexual 
uh, things and what is like uh, loving sexual things. I'd like to show like gratuitous sex on television is maybe not a way to be open about sexuality, but having the knowledge. I mean, even if you talk to people uh, uh, about teaching this type of thing in school, though, a lot of people might freak out. But how do, how do we how do we go about teaching sexuality in an open way that is that is uh uh that's knowledge based and understanding so that way we can have like a better sexual understanding when we're older and and what's the difference between that and like just grotesque sexual like you know i mean words I'm, we I'm have sure loads can... of like sexual exploitation it's not like we're short of sexual exploitation right now we got loads of that so how about right. like yeah let's right. talk we have exactly. that's what like i'm saying is spirituality and like at least have <clears throat> is exactly. just shut down everything and then you know the the other side would just be like anything goes and this ends up all grossly exploitive i mean look at pornography i'm not anti-porn but like 95 to 98 percent of the pornography that exists is like grossly exploitive of the women um and it's really mistreating the women and whereas like women can be in charge of that business and women can be benefiting from that business. And maybe they're more than 2%, but they're certainly not more than 10%. And like there are women that really thrive in that um, space when they're able to, but for the most part, it's just like grossly exploitive. And like, that's, yeah, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, not okay. no, I think, yeah, no, that's not cool. Um, I think though, like if it's taught in a spiritual way though, then, or like more like ritualistic way, if you will call it, um, you know, it would be more uh, accepted. But it, but it does open in, discussion in a to sense. like, you know, I mean, I think prostitution should be legal and I think there can be a ritual aspect to it. So you could have ritual prostitution. I'm not actually yeah. How uh, how was it expressed in in like the ancient times with the goddess and everything? How was the sexuality ex expressed in a way? Is there any knowledge text, of that? You know of the details. Um, you know in the story of Judah and Tamar in the Bible, Judah just meets her by the side of the road and like, uh, and then he gives her a goat <laughs> in exchange. <laughs> hey, not, not bad. Woo! That was good. Here's and she's a goat. got a veil on, so he never knows who she is. Do you, guys his do you guys remember that show? God changed um, his name to McDonald's. He served over 10,000 people. 10, I'd take a goat. Give me a goat. Give me a goat. Here's your goat. goat. Well, a goat for a roll in the hay. Is, like, yeah. is that a fair deal or not? Yeah. yeah. Dude, totally, totally. You guys remember that show uh, Firefly by Joss Whedon? Do you guys yeah, remember sure. that? No, yep. there was they, he did such a beautiful job at portraying uh, like space western and and using the, the slight words of Mandarin in there. It's, it's a really tasteful show. One of the greatest shows that was ever made. And a lot of people say that online. I'm one of them. And I watched it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Joss Whedon's got his like fan base, yeah. his like cult fan base. Yes, I'm a total Joss nerd. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the uh, there on that show like they're in the future but it's also kind of in the past and the uh the prostitute on board of the firefly is like a very highly respected person in that right. time period because she sleeps with you know the highest uh, of the royals and is like a really valuable person to have on your team and i i always thought that was cool when i saw that as a when i was younger yeah, so she's more like a greek courtesan so like the farther back in time you go the more the women had you know rights and respect and, and wealth around all this stuff by the time you get to greek and roman times 
they're no longer really Kadesha. Like they don't really have like these veiled women that are called the holy ones walking around town as far as I know. Um, but they do have very high class prostitutes and they have le- and prostitution is legal. And so courtesans, um, they had a name from Henteri or something. They're basically a high class women who like, they wouldn't, they're not like hooking up out in the street. Like they'll have like one or two men that like take care of them. Um, and they'd be educated. They might be artists. Um, and some of them were like really famous and like kind of like influential and that they had like really just by virtue of their t- own talents had like really influential relationships with the most important men. And so in that way, we're able to be influential, like politically, but, uh, that's what that girl in firefly, she's like one of those like mm. partisan girls. Um, and then when Christianity comes along, I think one of the appeals of Christianity is actually for women is that, you know, cause women really embrace Christianity and Christianity is totally chaste religion. Uh, I think at that point in time, the women were tired of getting pushed around sexually and they were tired of letting their husbands run around and they were actually happy to enforce chastity both on themselves. They, they had to have it anyway. The married women did, and they were happy to impose it on their men for once. And so I think the whole, I think a big appeal of the Christianity in the early days for women was that it did enforce some sexual ethics, like when there really hadn't been any at all, because in Greek and Roman times, it was like pretty wide open. Like men were pretty damn rude. I think they would stick their dick. Yeah. Damn well felt like it. Yeah, it's really gross. Like, there's like this kind of weird. I mean, I'm I've worked in. <laughs> I've never said this on the show, but I'm I'm about to. Uh, I worked at a a gay strip club in Portland, Oregon called Stag <laughs> for a couple I years. Knew it. And, as a dancer uh, <laughs> or as a as I was a bartender, but you know, we were almost naked. And uh, <laughs> there's this really, really kind of just uh, you can feel the 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 energy of just like that just like needing sex like energy and it it was really hard to be around honestly because you know it was just it's so intense and it's like so gross and it's not like this it's not a passion it's it's something different it's like a lower type of vibrational uh state of being and uh and yeah i I could just imagine that back in like what you were just referencing like back before you know there was any sort of chastity of sorts like that it was just it's i mean it's still it still is this way it still is this way it wasn't no just holes barred. antiquity that women feel complete pressure you know it's 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 <laughs> a, it's a thing a I, i've experienced card. it wow <laughs> oh gosh yeah interesting all right sorry I'll, I'll, I'll change the subject it. for you roman so we can get onto something <laughs> thanks bud <laughs> yeah no problem let's let's talk about uh the, like the future though and, and and what can we do uh what is what does it look like to have uh, a woman or women in charge of things and and having equal uh rights and having uh this goddess type figure in a more modern sense i mean i do think it moves us towards a more cooperative ethic um and away from a dominance hierarchies i mean the, the classic model was that like you know, Marx and Engels gets their, their ideas for socialism from these ancient matriarchal Neolithic traditions where it was like, because like for the first half of like, so we've got 12,000 years since the Neolithic. The first half of that is like peaceful settlements with like no war, like there's no weapons, there's no signs of warfare at all. And there's no kings, there's no dominance, there's no slavery. And then it's at 4,000 BC, it's like the beginning of the Bronze Age. And that's where we get the weapons. And that's where we have 
the settlements are prosperous enough that uh, there's something worth stealing. And so they start raiding and they start to like, you know, impose, you know, the men start to, the warlords start to impose themselves. And this is where we get kings. Kings are all warlords. This is where we get slavery. And, and that's like becomes the fast track to wealth is to like steal it. So this is the beginning of the, you know, that's the second 6,000 years of history um, where the men, you know, slowly but surely assert themselves over everybody else. And the women get pushed down and pushed around. Um, and now we're through the looking glass and, you know, and so that's swung so far all the way towards like all male, uh, like extreme all male patriarchy and completely away. The pendulum is completely away from the feminine. And now I think we're at this high watermark and we're starting to swing back in the other direction and the feminine is starting to come back. And I think we need to build new communities. I think we need new religion, frankly. I think we need new religious communities, new spiritual communities. I think Christianity is failing us in the West. It's falling apart. People are leaving in droves or else they're doubling down or also sticking behind and like doubling down on it. Um, and, you know, the materialists, they just want everything to be done by the government. And like, that's going to lead to tyranny, frankly. So like, this is what worries me. I think we're headed into like civil war and like real crack up of stuff. Um, I think liberal overreach is going to trigger the conservatives to like break out the guns and revolt. That's what I think. Yeah. Yo. I've been like anti-religion my entire life. And I feel this now. Like I a hundred percent feel like what you're saying. It's like at a brink. Cause like all the people who it's how you build communities and like they, yeah. they have some common belief. Like we all come together as a group because we believe in ABC and X, Y, and Z. And like, it almost doesn't matter what it is as long as it's like wholesome, you know, um, right. and it brings people together. And everybody can eat as long as there's going to be a meal, a dinner at the end of it. Everybody's coming. As long as you get your goat. Get the goat. <laughs> <laughs> for for services rendered. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll take a goat. Any. I'll take a goat any day. Any day. That's good um, you know that I actually the... have goats. I have goats personally. And oh, do you keep I... animals now? Are you out in the country? Yeah, I live out in the mountains in California. Where are you guys <laughs> but, all located? Uh, We're I'm all in over Central California. Yeah, yeah, Central California, like toward the valley. Yeah, and I'm on the Central Coast, and uh, Roman's up in northern lands. Sasquatch, yeah, uh, chronic we're, land. We're in Northern California. I was out in California before. Where, where about? Uh, you, Ukiah. Oh Mendocino. yeah, I was up in Humboldt. I was up in Humboldt nice. for almost a year. I was nice. up in uh, Eureka and in Arcata, and yeah, I was all. Oh, I was living in a motorhome yeah. up all over California for two years. Yo, did you and ever go to like, that bakery? Uh, <laughs> Say it uh, again. There's a bakery in uh, uh, <laughs> Arcata. I, yeah, Arcata. It's like up by the little town center. There's this little grass patch. There's right. like a French bakery over there. Do you ever go? Do you ever go there? Yeah, I did. It's called the Brio. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, they're really good coffee and stuff. Good, really good drip coffee. Yes. Oh my oh, god. Right <laughs> yeah, I loved I, it in Humboldt, I, except for the winter. I love the summer. That's awesome. Yeah, Hold, we're holding my goat in, coffee. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're in uh, Bakersfield. <laughs> Do you know right. where about? Yeah, so almost to Bakersfield, between Bakersfield and the coast. But um, yeah, we have goats, chickens. There's cows out here. You know, we ride our horses, all that fun stuff. But a uh, garden, all that, you know, everything you need to do to self-sustain the collapse of the. Yeah, universe. I used to have like property on the country in uh, upstate New York. So I lived for yeah, a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's but cool. Now, yeah. Uh, maple trees. 
I'm in downtown Washington, D.C. right now, like right in the middle of the big city. Mm. Oh, that's harsh. Out there protesting the divine feminine. Yeah, we, there's all these Wait, isn't that another country? What's that? Aren't you in, isn't that, aren't, isn't Washington, D.C. another country? <laughs> <laughs> it's not even in America, y'all. Right. No, we don't have tax. We don't have representation. No, uh, no, no vote for president. No mm. vote for president. No vote for no senator. I mean, we have no vote in Congress. Um, one thing I was going to say is like, uh, you know, that's a, a matriarchy that rules the world because, uh, in all the movies, when the, it's the end of the world, there's always a female president. Um, do you, uh, do you think that it's somewhat intentional to stray people away from bringing in, uh, this divine feminine aspect that we're lacking and by having them <laughs> seem like a villain or a bad person or a, a prostitute or, mythology. um, yeah. I was mentioning about the salt waters. So there's three iterations of the story. The oldest one is Namu from the Sumerians. And she is the primordial mother goddess who gives birth to An and Enlil and Enki. Um, and she is, you know, she's the salt waters. Then a thousand years later, you get the Numa Elish, and that's the story of Marduk and mm-hmm. from Babylon. And there they're, 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 they're having a reform and they're turning over the old traditions. And so there the mother goddess is now, her name is Tiamat and she's turned into a villain. And so Marduk has to defeat Tiamat. He's got to cut her in half. And like, he makes the world from her halves um, uh, from mm. the two sides of her corpse. And so there in that tradition, she's gone from being kind to being, to being a villain. And then in the third, a thousand years later, you get to Genesis one in the Bible. And the first line of Genesis is, um, and God created the earth. They, God, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And the spirit of God hovered over the waters. The spirit of God hovered over the waters. The waters there, that's the same as Namu and Tiamat. And there's mm. another word about the deep that's called Tihom, and that's a cognate of Tiamat as well. And so scholars have noticed this. And Joseph Campbell is the one who pointed out that the waters there is, in fact, the goddess. It's just they've taken away her name. So you don't know her identity, but they needed her still to be there theologically. Um, but they, they don't even make her a villain. They just take away her name and her character altogether. And by that way, they're like denuding her and taking away her power and influence. In the Sitchin books, isn't it Nibiru, Nibiru that splits uh, uh, Tiamat into uh, a half and creates the earth and the asteroid belt? I mean, that's Marduk is the main one, but I think the Assyrians took the same story and just put Ashur into it instead of Marduk. And other cultures may have done it as well. No, that's what I'm saying. Nibiru, this uh, planet, that 10th planet nibiru isn't that what i'm not familiar with you don't know nibiru. that because uh, i was thinking isn't like uh the word for uh hebrew and and hebrew isn't it like hibiru or something like that sounds like nibiru nibiru i don't know the habaru that they some people think might be the hebrews from the bronze age ah. um, and they what is like, your take no- on the anunnaki ed Anunnaki story. So the end. Um, I mean, as far as like, what do we know officially about him? It's not that much. No. What's they, what's your what's your take on what that? are your feelings? Yeah, on those on the on the cuneiform interpretations of the Anunnaki. Yeah, I don't really have one. Um, <laughs> you don't. You, you don't. You don't believe that it's because uh, you said earlier you don't believe in ain't. Uh, uh, ancient astronauts or like an alien uh, origin story or what's your main origin belief are you a um, 
uh, evolution, like, no, you don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, evolution's fine. I got no problem with evolution or Big Bang. The thing about Big Bang is that, like, it's perfectly fine as physics goes, but it doesn't really explain how, doesn't explain what caused the Big Bang, doesn't explain what came before the Big Bang, it doesn't explain why after the Big Bang everything came into order, like, and not, and just, and not just into like a stew. Like, well, how did the universe come into the order? Like, why does physics form? Like, why did we have gravity and mathematics and all these natural laws? Like, they had to come from someplace. I don't know what it was, but like, that's sort of where your belief in God comes in as like just the basic deist creator of the universe. Like, I don't know who it is, but we have a tradition of calling it father. And that, I don't know, it's good enough for me. <laughs> like, I don't really need to, like, I, I mean, it's all just stories. Nobody, nobody knows. Like, these are all just stories. Nobody knows how we created the universe. I don't but but you, we feel we have What's feelings. That? We have feelings in certain ways of intuition and <laughs> wow, what, what our belly tells what, us. Tell me your download. Oh, oh, Dan first. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I think all the planets are are like uh, kind of what I mentioned earlier with the Eternals thing is like they're all just eggs, and uh, all the asteroids and everything floating through are just like sperm, and they hit planets and they create life and and these asteroids well, i do believe that i do believe in it's fact, like I direct my panspermia that, um, microcosm macrocosm type of situation. yeah that a comet comets carrying the seeds of life the amino acids and things crashing into the ocean is like the bull of heaven mating with mother earth i mean that's yeah. why they call the oceans the, the salt waters are the are the womb of mother earth mm -hmm. and like and mm -hmm. so the, the ancients understood that life came from the oceans and that's what modern biology teaches us hey life comes from the oceans the yeah. ancients weren't so dumb after all um so like and the idea that it could be impregnated from extraterrestrial impact i mean that totally makes sense to me like we're being bombarded constantly so like mm -hmm. and it probably happened over and over again which is why we have multiple bloomings of life on earth mermaids mermaids multiple times <laughs> and destroyed on alchemical and destroyed on by the same forces. sense and, the, and you know but if on you miss the water and land the... on the land it's totally destructive Ah, okay. that's true. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's well. That's weird how that works too. It's a pair. It's one of these paradoxes. Yeah. That's why I like duality. And then you put them together because life is full of these paradoxes. Creation and destruction go hand in hand. The same force that brought life on Earth is the same force that ends life repeatedly. Because mm -hmm. we've probably been knocked mm -hmm. out repeatedly. That's what happens in the Younger Dryas. Probably, presumably, is that if you know that story, they were probably like hit with a comet and like. It's a mass extinction event, and that's the story of Noah's flood. As far as I'm it's concerned, it's like what moms say to their kids: "Like I brought you into this world, and then I can take you out." That's right. <laughs> that's what our mom used yeah, to say to us a lot. Yeah, yeah. my mom all the time, constant, constant. Yeah, we heard that. Yeah, one. and I used to, "All right, Often. let's see it. Bring it, bring it." <laughs> I was going to say on an alchemical sense, um, you know, speaking of electricity and physics and everything, like salt water. Is an incredible conductor. It's it's well, it's not even necessarily a conductor. The salt is a conductor, but like it's a it creates energy and life too. It's like the life force of you know um, a lot of the electrical conductivity that the earth mm -hmm. reverberates from. Yeah, you know you have the land, which is that grounding energy, and then the EC, the electric uh, con. You know, well, salt is like crystal, like right? ECs. Yeah. It's exactly and mineral structure. and yeah it's crystallization mm -hmm. and so it's just and so there's that energy electricity life 
force, you know, coming from that too, which is fascinating. I never thought about the, the, the salt water being feminine, but it totally is. I mean, everything stems off of that and it makes complete sense. Thanks for putting that thread in the sweater, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. That's a good one. Like that was one, uh, that was a really shocking one that I learned from Joseph Campbell was like that the water is there and the opening the first line of Genesis, there's the mother goddess right there. And they're intentionally mm-hmm. taking her name away. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Because they didn't have to write that down. They put that was none of those words are there by accident. Those words are there. Yeah. On purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They replace uh, the, the, the mother's name too, with wisdom a lot uh, in, in the Bible. They, uh, right. They, they replace Asherah with wisdom or they replace some other goddess name with just the word. Well, wisdom it's King instead. Solomon who does the wisdom stuff. That's all in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, mainly in Proverbs. And, um, that's where he talks about wisdom in the feminine voice. And like, it says like, um, wisdom, you know, she's speaking and she's saying, I was with Yahweh when he laid the foundations of the earth. I, you know, by wisdom, I guided his hand with my wisdom. I guided his hands on my dad. Um, and so it's like, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, that that's all in King Solomon. It doesn't really show up elsewhere, but it's, but that's great stuff. That's like some of my favorite stuff in the Bible. Mm. Yeah, but it shows you how like that kind of divine feminine aspect was removed and uh, replaced with a different word that seemingly means the same thing. Unless, but unless you really understand what it's actually trying to convey, you won't you won't see it or you won't get it. You know, you got to dig in. You got to be. Now, I was wondering if you could go um, back into like cannabis in the Bible and the references that um, they were using it or whatnot uh, in the Garden sure. of Eden or. Oh, yeah. The Garden of Eden is like one of my favorite ones. Uh, the most uh, the in terms of it being referenced directly, it's it's um, the holy anointing oil of Moses. Well, so it's big with Moses. I think Moses is basically like Rasta. Like he's basically a Rastafarian. That guy It's like the burning mm-hmm. bush is weed. The menorah, the menorah, which is the, you know, the candle holder that's meant to represent the burning bush. It looks like a can of, a field of cannabis and the word con. So, so the word con that's the, the root word for cannabis is also the word mm. for a reed or for branch, which makes sense. Cause like hemp is like, you know, a reed or a branch. Um, and so that word shows up repeatedly in the, the instructions for making the menorah. You see, because I talk about, uh, you know, all these branches are describing how you hammer out the branch and with a bud at the top. The whole thing is reads like it's describing weed. Um, and then um, and then God is always shows up in a pillar of smoke every time he talks. To, like, Moses. <laughs> every single time it's in a pillar of smoke. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And, and that tradition does not continue in the second temple. It continues all the way through the first temple period, but never in the second temple. Um, and so then it goes on. So that holy anointing oil is key because like that is used to anoint all of the furnishings and the Ark of the Covenant and all the kings and all the priests all the way through the whole history of the King of, da- of the House of David. So like King David is anointed with the holy anointing oil, you know Moses and Aaron, um, all the way down to Jesus Christ, presumably. Like that's the same recipe that is supposedly being used by Jesus. So like a lot of people will go into interpret like Jesus healings in terms of using cannabis oils and things. I mean it's all speculative, but like it's there's a line to be said there. But I also think that cannabis is being used to uh, to resurrect Jesus, as I said. But back to the Old Testament, um, it's in the Song of Songs where it's listed among um, you know, the Song of Songs is the one romantic, sexy part of the Bible where 
you know, the woman's given a voice and, and, and she's Solomon is romancing her and he's describing her like all the, the beautiful aromatic herbs in the, in the garden. And there's, these are a lot of, uh, there's a whole list of herbs and cannabis is one of them. A lot of them in that list are also drug plants too. Um, it's in, uh, and then there's a couple other references. I have to look at them. It's in, um, they're in various profits. One time it's listed as a trade good. Um, and it might be, they might be talking about hemp coming out of tire. Um, and then it's twice as listed as a burnt offering where most, where Yahweh is like demanding it as an offering. Um, but then in, in the garden of Eden story, my interpretation of the garden of Eden story is that Eve represents Asherah and the Kadeshas and all these goddess traditions that, 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 they, that the Yahwehs are trying to shut down. And the whole story is a, is a blow at the, you know, it's a broadside against them and their traditions and everything about it is representing them. So snakes are a major, major symbol in the ancient world. They were a symbol of power and wisdom and divination. Moses was carrying a snake staff and he puts a bronze snake on a pole. Like these are important symbols for Moses was the serpent. And it's a yeah. really important symbol in goddess traditions all over the ancient Near East. You can do an entire dissertation on just snakes and, and, and these female priestesses. Like it's all over. They would keep snakes. Medusa. They would have, it, it goes on and on. Um, and so when they turn this, now they're turning the serpent into a symbol of something that's bad. And they're saying, you can't do this because they're saying we're putting those traditions out. <laughs> um, mm. And so um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, um, it's like Genesis three verses six and seven, I believe is, is, is a specific description of cannabis or saying, um, the tree, the, the, the seed, I, I have to be looking at the text, but the, the, the seed is good to eat. No, that the, the plant is, um, it's pleasing to the eye. Um, the seeds are good for food. Um, they eat it and they have an experience. They get high basically. And then the first thing they do is go become farmers. So then and they make clothes. Oh yeah. That's the first thing to do is wow. they make, they sew fig leaves together. That's hemp fibers right there. They got the food, the drugs and the fibers all in one plant. They're fucking a miracle. That is a miracle in itself. right there. <laughs> Same with coconuts too, by the way, coconut fiber, coconut milk, coconut <laughs> juice, coconut trees. My brother. Maybe they were fully cannabis. Fully, fully so then, cannabis and, then, yeah. and then also, they, they tell Eve that she has to be monogamous to Adam, which was what these other traditions were not doing, where the women were not monogamous. They had maternal bloodlines. Um, mm. And um, oh, and then she goes into painful birth, which is like also symbolic of this is also important symbol symbolically because goddesses had were famous for having painless childbirth and midwives would facilitate a painless childbirth with midwifery drugs like cannabis. And so it's yet oh, another thing cool. saying. Um, we're shutting down your midwives or shutting down these priestesses We're shutting down all this stuff. And you guys can go ahead and have painful childbirths for all we care. Um, um, and so, Wasn't yeah. That so also reference to like, that was, uh, Eve's punishment for, uh, eating the forbidden fruit. Yeah. And then they're just blaming Eve for everything. Like they're blaming Eve yeah. for all the sins of man, which by the way, the Greeks do the exact same thing. Pandora is a totally equivalent character to Eve where she is the first woman and she opens up the box that unleashes all the evils on the world and both cultures that are totally contemporary to one another. These stories are written at the same time or roughly the same time um, are both saying that the women are the source of all <laughs> are the root of all evil and the source of all of our man's troubles. Like everything, why did things go bad? 
because the women did it. It's all the fault of the women. <laughs> and so we got to make Eve the scapegoat for everything and make sure she's locked down and locked up tight and has no idea about being promiscuous or anything else. Um, Someone got their heart broken. <laughs> oh, cry. <laughs> So yeah, uh, I think that whole story is a broadside uh, against the female, against the priestesses, against Asherah, um, the serpent, the tree of knowledge, and it's an entheogenic like plant experience, and it's like mm -hmm. a shamanistic experience with these drugs. Mm -hmm. And they're also saying you can't do it; like we're shutting down that. It's another thing that they're saying: no more smoking weed, basically, mm -hmm. um, or you know, just using these sacred plants in general. They're shutting down those traditions because the Jews and Christians don't do that. They don't have plant drug experiences. Not because those plant drugs weren't around, but because they were around and they said, we don't want you doing them. Um, what about Ezekiel, though? He was seeing wheels and wheels and shit. Oh, yeah. Ezekiel. Well, yeah, that speaks to a point. I think all the Hebrew prophets are fucking getting stoned. Ezekiel <laughs> is getting stoned. Um, Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah is another one. There's some really big drug references. Uh, but Ezekiel, yeah, like that is a whole drug trip, that whole thing. But down by the rivers of <laughs> Babylon. Just modern... It's only the modern where we're not, you know, or the modern where it's, you know, I feel like if you look back at, like you were saying, in the Bible, there's all, all these Hebrews were smoking at the Vedas. Vedas were, uh, I mean, you know, oh, they it's were even they more were, explicit in the Vedas. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's way more explicit in the Hindu, in the Vedic traditions. It's only modern where it's not, you know, so. I don't know, but then also at the same time. Well, the whole history of Christianity, um, they've hated it. I mean, in the Middle Ages, they did not approve it. The Muslims don't approve of it either. I mean, Islamic culture, the Arab street, people on the street like it. But, you know, these conservative Arab, uh, Muslim clerics do not like it. Um, although it's more ambiguous in the Quran compared to alcohol. It's a whole other conversation of itself. But um, the uh, um, but Christianity is whole, always they don't they don't like people getting stoned or, or doing plant drugs just in any of them they do the, the stoning what's that they do the stoning <laughs> yeah they do the stoning yeah, that's all heresy and blasphemy and paganism and heathenry and witchcraft and they don't like any of it yeah They've always hated bastards them. bastards those christians <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff you find in the occult because like that's one thing i noticed is like doing studying history is you know how like as a pothead like you show up in a new place, new school or new job or something like all the heads all find each other. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. who wants to go for a walk? You can do that in, his, <laughs> in the study of history too. You can find the heads in history. Um, they're all there because there's always been weed around. So if you go to the place where the weed was, you figure out who in that community were the heads because there was somebody who was doing it. Um, and what you find in the Christian era is that it's in the occult. Um, it's mm. in all the places where the Christian church says, we hate these guys. We hated the, they hated the, uh, the Freemasons or they, actually, I don't, I take that back by the Freemasons, but the, uh, I meant to say the, uh, um, the Knights Templar, mm. um, or, um, I don't know if you ever would have heard of Francois Rabelais was this French writer from the 1500s who has this like crazy gargantuan on a pantagruel, which is all about cannabis. Um, that, but it's all in hidden language and, and, uh, even scholars don't realize that it's cannabis, but it is. Um, and it's and, and just the fact that it's in the pagan traditions and not in, you know, not in Christianity, because we know cannabis was there and we know that all of them in, in Europe, they didn't have they were growing hemp and they're not getting high on it. It's just hemp fibers. But even those hemp peasant farmers are still the, the pagans. They're still the ones that are keeping the pagan traditions alive, even if they're not getting high. 
also a medicine the, too probably like topically yeah you know what they did with it they 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 used the roots a lot they would boil the roots and use it topically um for like uh all sorts of arthritis pains and things and people are finding mm. you can do that today wow and they so would roots, boil the huh? and they would boil the flowers uh for various ointments yeah. and things but it was like cbd Definitely. kind of stuff there's oh, no uh awesome. you don't get high on it is there anything else that they were doing in ancient times with marijuana that we're not doing now that maybe we should uh go look at the ancient texts and figure out <laughs> well it was it shows up in the yeah let text. us know definitely the midwifery definitely definitely yeah. like female menstrual medicine it's it's in, that women can use internally which which they are products nowadays and women are swearing yeah. by like there's stuff you can buy in california and women are like this uh, is awesome <laughs> yep. i can't try it myself yep. but like i um, can say firsthand having two children with no drugs and I definitely use cannabis far up to <laughs> me giving birth. <laughs> and I didn't have any of their drugs, no hospital drugs for me. So I think that shit works for sure. I'm 100% on board with that. And then the other craziest one I heard about was that it was the first surgical anesthetic ever. Oh. And this led into the Jesus stuff. And this goes back to like the second century China, where one of the legendary Chinese fathers of Chinese medicine this, uh, I think his name is Hu Tao or something. Um, he invented the first anesthetic that allowed him to do like abdominal surgeries using uh, a, a cannabis. He called it hemp boiling powder and he had some some concoction he made. Um, wow. Hmm. That was a long time ago. That's amazing. That's fascinating. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, do you have any uh, literary references for any uh, ancient uh, Chinese traditional medicine or any sort of Eastern f philosophies to look at on the divine feminine? Because, uh, man, I it's just so hard to find any good well, books Hinduism, when I, I mean, Google Hinduism or search. Full of it, uh, Bhakti and yeah. the Shakti traditions. I mean, that's where I haven't really studied Chinese stuff. It's not really my field, but the Hinduism I've looked at a lot and. And that's where we really, um, um, if you look at my website on the, the, the page about my book, I have an excerpt from my book and there's a, uh, if you go down, there's stuff about from the Rig Veda, there's run a really, really good one. That's, that's Shakti. Um, it's called the Devi Sukta. It's the hymn to the goddess. And it's, his, it's one of the, our oldest texts. It's like 1500 BC. It's, his, it's really, really old. Um, and it's like really describes um, the way I see these sort of Indo-European mother goddess, um, she describes herself as in the water as I, I brought forth sky, the father, and I make my home in the oceans as mother. Um, oh, it's his awesome prayer. Um, but it's on my website on that, on the, on the page for my book. Can, can I ask you one? I mean, we're get we are at two hours. Yeah. Um, so I know we probably all want to wrap up, but I'm going to ask you one question too, because you've looked at a lot of ancient art, ancient uh, text, and you know, you've obviously studied the deities and much more. Um, but these uh, symbols and scepters uh, used in art and symbology, um, the scepters used by different goddesses, what, what's a common occurrence you see? with uh things being held in the hands and the symbology of scepters um magic flowers serpents and lions and the planet cool. venus um that's another good one uh, or uh, the omega on the head is a womb hathor of uh, egypt yeah. has that asherah has that as well so the omega symbol you'll see that as their hair their hair will be like oh, omega. or sometimes yeah. they'll be turned upside down 
and that's a womb. Um, uh-huh. um, but the lions, lions is a big, big one. That's why it's on the cover of my book. All the goddesses had lions, yeah, snakes, and magic plants. What do you think about the Sphinx? Do you think that was a fertility goddess, and that's why they well, put the a man's Sphinx head on it? Another interesting one. Like, what is the dating on the Sphinx? Um, and did it have a different face before? Who knows, man? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't really have a, a mane so much like a lion. And uh, some people have suggested that it maybe it was a lioness and then they put uh, a Pharaoh head on it. Um, almost like a symbol of the female is gone. And now here's the man uh, taking control of everything. And and we're talking about the destruction of the female and the goddess. Uh, it seems, it seems, yeah, it seems off, like you know? it, it would correlate pretty well to that. Yeah, the Sphinx is a good mystery. Or is it the Egyptians? That is, yeah, it's fascinating to. I haven't dug deep. Well, there's so much sticky stuff around the Sphinx that it's kind of hard to know what is what. You know, I doubt that the the Sphinx will work. Because there's all this, there's all this water erosion on it. Like the water erosion is plain to the eye. Like you can totally see that. And like, yeah. And like, when was it raining? Because that was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, yeah. Let's uh, wrap it up though. Right here, this is a good spot. Uh, Ed. Go ahead and tell the people where they can find you, your book. And if you have anything else going on, uh, podcasts or new books in the work, uh, let them know. Oh, well, oh, yeah, some NFT art, too. Um, yeah, so lostgoddess.io is my website where we've got some art. We actually posted some art as NFTs. We'll see what happens there. Um, I don't really anticipate much, but it would be kind of silly not to do it. Um, so, But I've been working with this guy, Juan Hernandez, and he's a gig done a bunch of great art for me. So we got a, some short stories, some random articles and stuff about my book and the podcast. We're doing a podcast now. So uh, me and Bruce Torres and some other folks. Um, so that's all lostgoddess.io. You can find all that there. You can find my book there, History of the Goddess. Um, and yeah, and uh, you know, I might uh, probably should set up a Telegram chat one of these days, try and see if I can get um, some things going on there too. What's the name of your podcast with Bruce? It's lostgoddess.io. It's on you. It's on YouTube. Oh, it's on. It's a YouTube uh, podcast, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a YouTube channel. I haven't even. Yeah, actually, there is some podcasts. I haven't backloaded all the. Uh, there is. I do have audio podcasts, but only a couple episodes on there. I actually, I've got a whole bunch of audio I need to post. But okay. on YouTube, it's on lostgoddess.io. Okay. You can find it all on my website, all on the homepage. Excellent. Nice. On Twitter. Well, and thank YouTube. you. Thank you much, Ed. That was awesome. Great intro to our Divine Feminine Month. I mean, I don't really see uh, how we could have started off any better with diving deep upon the 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 lost goddess. So you know that concept. Diving so deep it's upon beautiful. the waters of the Gaia. Well, Homie Romy, Elaine, Dan, awesome. Nice meeting you guys. Thank it's you. Yeah. Good chat. Yeah. It's nice Have meeting you also. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Have man. a good rest of your night. I'm going to hit and remit. Oh, thank you, Fire Child, for listening. And if you're not done with that, I got two words wake. for you. Oh, shit. Wake, 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 up. wake, wake. Any